Make sure to check out the video version of this podcast at youtube.com slash game of microphones. See everything you're missing. Jaehaerys called the Great Council to prevent a war being fought over his succession. For he knew the cold truth, the only thing that could tear down the House of the Dragon was itself. Mount your dragons and draw your swords. It's Game of Microphones. With Sir Duncan the Fearsome. <laughs> well met, raging dragon riders and vengeful heirs, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome, castrator of captured criminals and knower of nothing. I'm Lord Zach, Maester of Mayhem. Welcome to episode 121. Sadly, as much as Lady Rachel would love to be here with us, scheduling conflicts are interfering with our ability to make it happen at this particular moment. I promise, however, that I'll do my best to get her on here as much as possible. But for now, as they say, the show must go on. What do we have in store today, Lord Zach? On this episode, we're covering the pilot the long-anticipated first episode of the new Game of Thrones prequel series, House of the Dragon. Season 1, Episode 1, The Heirs of the Dragon. And in case you're not already aware, this podcast is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen all previously aired episodes of Game of Thrones and the House of the Dragon pilot. And if not, there's still time to be savagely murdered in a brutal hand-to-hand combat after thinking you've just won attorney joust so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I'd like to take a minute to apologize to our loyal, longtime listeners for our absence as of late. We'd had big plans when Game of Thrones Season 8 ended to begin covering the A Song of Ice and Fire books but a number of factors prevented us from being able to do so, not the least of which was funding. I've been operating this podcast at a significant personal deficit throughout its run. Then, before season eight, I had joined a new podcast network who made lofty promises, but they ended up failing to live up to any of their contractual obligations, including providing sponsors to the show, which left us hanging completely in the wind with no support at the last minute. Although I advertised for people for free during Season 8 because I loved their products, we had no paying sponsors and only a few but highly appreciated Patreon supporters and donors. As of now, we're starting over with no sponsors or income, so I'm forced to issue a call to our listeners to please support us if you're able to do so. Research and production for this show takes significant time and effort. We are relying solely on you to keep this going. And even if it's joining our Patreon for only a few bucks a month, anything you're able to give will help towards keeping this show alive. 
I implore you to consider helping to support Game of Microphones. I'm going out on a limb here, but only because it's critical for the survival of the show. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast. Thanks for your consideration. All right, let's begin. In consideration of further spoiler avoidance, we understand that most listeners have likely not read Fire and Blood, which covers this period of the Targaryen reign. Therefore, we will only be discussing events from the Dance of Dragons that have already come to pass on House of the Dragon, and will take caution not to spoil drama that is still to come on the show. Without any further ado, let's get into our top five highlights of House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 1, The Heirs of the Dragon. What's your number one, Zach? Okay, so my number one is, it's in the title, Dragons, baby. That's mine also. The dragons. That's nice. That's We're on the same page. Cyrax, Caraxes, I mean, very different looking dragons. You know, I think George insisted that they, they give the dragons even more color and just, you know, differentiation yeah. for the new show. And uh, we didn't see Caraxes almost until the very end. Um, with his that black red, and he's like super uh, long and elongated, <laughs> and I think I think I I mean it lo- his his feet I think have some kind of little like winglets you know kind of <laughs> on the back maybe <laughs> yeah, yeah. to uh, to help his uh, aerodynamics or whatever. But he was really cool and Cyrax super at the cool. very beginning, starting the episode, you know, after the prologue, um, Cy- seeing Cyrax, uh, he I mean his. The shape of his body and, you know, his size, you know, was more like, you know, Drogon and Viserion yeah, uh, from the beefy. first show. But his, his uh, you know, his horns, or I don't know if there's, he had like two sets on both sides. Really cool. Um, and obviously, you know, I expect there to be a lot more dragon riding, dragon fights, dragon everything going forward so yeah. really excited about the dragons super excited man that intro was epic as cyrax comes rushing onto the screen from from stage right i guess you would say flying through the clouds and as they soar past the red keep uh we get hints of the original game of thrones theme dun, 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 just hints of it coming through the, the score which was awesome and uh, at this moment, also, th- I think this is our first time seeing the legendary dragon pit in full, in all its full glory, right? Yeah, it was destroyed um, later um, in history uh, between uh, at- now where we're at uh, and um, when the original show starts um, after Robert Baratheon is already the king. You know, it's been long destroyed. So seeing True. it, you know, on the t- on the top, I think it's. Listeners, let me let us know. I think it's Vicinia's Hill, um, where the Dragon Pit sits in King's Landing. There, it may be on a different hill, but anyway, yeah, one of those um, hills. <laughs> very. Maybe very we'll cool. get to see how the destruction came to be in this series. But yeah, it looks absolutely gargantuan. I mean, that is like the biggest thing in King's Landing, as far as I could tell. It, what do you? How do you think it compares in size to the Red Keep? I mean, the Red Keep's yeah, taller, yeah. but it's like giant right and the red keep kind of sticks you know it's kind of juts out on a little you know type of peninsula uh, next to the the blackwater bay there yeah. but it i mean it is very i mean it houses dragons like many many dragons yeah it's like freaking astro dome or something <laughs> in the middle of westeros I'm, I'm looking at the wiki of ice and fire now um so the dragon pit is a huge dome castle the crown of rainy's hill nice um 
So there you go. Um, I correct uh, the, our first correction. Uh, <laughs> I, caught it, I caught it myself. So yeah. yeah, very cool. Yeah, really cool. And uh, so that she comes landing down into the the uh, lobby, I guess, at the, at the dragon pit area, the atrium area, and uh, the dragon trainers come out to meet. Cyrax and they start speaking in high Valyrian and uh, the first guy says, Dohairas Cyrax and you may remember another form of this word from the faceless men's famed call and response yep. in fancy pants high Valyrian, Valar Morgulis all men must die and then the reply Valar Dohairis, all men must serve. So I did a little research on the language here and it turns out that Dohairas is a conjugation of the High Valyrian infinitive verb dohairagon, meaning to serve. And if you want to get real technical, and I kind of want to nerd out here for a moment, dohairas is the second person singular active present imperative form of the verb. In other words, it's a command, meaning serve. And then, uh, so the guy says, serve. And then he says, umbas, and umbas comes from the high Valyrian infinitive verb umbagon, which means to stay, mm-hmm. to wait. It's also a second person singular active present imperative command form, meaning wait. And then he says, ribas, which is also a command from the infinitive ribagon, meaning to hear or alternately to obey, which makes more sense in this context. Mm-hmm. Thus, ribas means obey. So in order... They tell the Cyrax, serve Cyrax, wait, obey. And luckily for them, he does. Because <laughs> as, uh, yeah. as uh, Viserys says later, they don't really control the dragons. That's an illusion. Right. Yeah. They, you know, and they see, you know, even the, it was like a trainee um, dragon pit servant, uh, the dragon keeper. And then there was an experienced guy and he, you know, he, had that long, you know, bow staff. It was longer than a bow staff, but that long, almost oh, yeah. spear. And it was as like, if that'll nope, do anything. <laughs> don't get right. Yeah, you'd poke him with it. Um, <laughs> the uh, all the people in um, Marine learned that when uh, Danny escaped from the uh, the pit there. Right. But um, you know, they stopped him. He's like, "Oh, don't get any closer than that." And so that sh- you know, it sh- kind of shows you that. They're just there to guide the dragon. They're yeah. not, they, they, you know, obviously they can't be controlled. Uh, so it's like, just depends on the dragon's mood that <laughs> They're day. They're doing the best they compliant. can. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's at this point when we see the actor Graham McTavish come in, uh, who is playing um, Sir Harold Westerling, one of the Kingsguard, I believe. And yep. he's kind of the protector of Rhaenyra. And this was really cool to see because uh, I like this actor. He was really awesome in the show Lucifer, which is a really great show. I recommend it. He plays a priest who ends up becoming, I don't want to say actually, it's kind of spoilery, but this is great casting all throughout the show. Um, So this was really cool. And uh, then in the background, as she's kind of chatting with with Westerling here, the dragon trainer says... uh, Dohairas Nayat. And this one was an exciting one to translate because during the process of translating this one, I realized we've heard this one before as well. And it's from one of the most epic lines in all of Game of Thrones at the moment when Daenerys takes the whip from the slaver, taking command of the unsullied. Uh, 
it means forward. And she, it's that moment where she holds the whip mm. and says, Novakeris, neyot memebatas, and means unsullied, forward march. And the and she's demonstrating her new control over the soldiers. And that's right before she says, Dracaris, and commands Drogon to inflame nice. the, uh, <laughs> the slaver guy, which was really cool. So the next moment we see a dragon action is at the uh, the funeral scene and we get to see Cyrax in action here. This was a really sad scene. Um it, the, we get the reveal that the that Balon, the baby boy has sadly passed and uh Viserys is just distraught. And since Balerion is is dead at this point, unfortunately, uh it 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 comes down to this, uh, to Rhaenyra to command the dragon, her dragon, to set the pyre on fire. And we get to see some interesting interactions here between Daemon yep, and uh, Rhaenyra. I'm getting used to these names. Sorry, guys. And uh, I thought it was interesting because uh, Rhaenyra says in, in High Valyrian, I wonder if during these, those few hours my brother lived if my father finally found happiness. And to me, it kind of had like a sort of sarcastic tinge that indicated she may be angry at her father for sacrificing her mother for a, a baby who ended up basically being stillborn anyway. But Daemon is, stands, sticks up for the father and tells her, you know, your father needs you more now than he ever has. And gives her strength and advises her not to be mad at him, it seemed like to me. Although she lamented that she'll, she'll no matter what she does, she, I will never be a son. Right. Yeah. Very, very powerful scene. And, and that it shows Damon's more um, human, human side. side. I mean, yeah, yeah. beginning with the gold cloaks and all, we saw you know how brutal he could be and his ambition with the small council and all that stuff. Um, but... You know, that really showed how, how much he cares for Rhaenyra um, and how, you know, kind and compassionate he can be you yeah. know, when, he chooses, when he chooses to be. He's not just, you know, uh, a Joffrey or, right, right, a Ramsey right. Bolt, or a Ramsey Bolton, you know, kind of a person. He's, you know, going to be have a lot of layers and a lot of complex uh, emotions and shortfalls and that kind of thing. So it's going to be a very... Very cool character to watch. Definitely. And we get a couple moments like that in this episode. We'll get back to another one later on. But while we're on the subject of dragons, uh, you mentioned Caraxes, Daemon's dragon. We get to see that a little later on. And like you said, he's, he's elongated, <laughs> red and black, flying through the sky, red, black rocket. And uh, he th he's called the Bloodworm is what the nickname mm -hmm. of him is because of his long ass body. And like you mentioned, he's got the extra wingies winglets on, on his back legs that, uh, help his, help him aerodynamically because his, his wings are, are off his shoulders, his front wings, and his body just extends so far backward that it's like tail wings on a plane. Basically, you know about that. Right. right. <laughs> and, and if, you know, if, if, you know, so his, the lift that is created from his wings, you know, is so far forward on his body, you know, right. in a normal wing position for a dragon, if you have too much, you know, weight with his body and his tail going way backwards. Like he would fly, you know, like a like a pool noodle, you know, <laughs> you, you know, and his tail his tail would just like 
slope down and just yeah. droop down. But if you put something, you know, on his back legs or whatever, or even on their sometimes their tail kind of has a little, you know, it widens out a little bit just to give it some some aerodynamic, you know, airflow and create some lift on the uh, on the tail section of his body to where the whole his whole body will kind of fly. Um, you know, together instead of, you know, falling, you know, Buzz Lightyear falling with style. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. A uh, good design on the part of uh, of the creators here. And so moving on from Caraxes, we do get to see also the skull of Valerion, the Black Dread, which was epic. Oh, man, yeah, that was so really cool. awesome. Really. I mean, they have it, you know, in a shrine, you know, that down there. We just I mean, kind of see that, you know. Back in the darkness, you know, when um, Lena Hades care when Cersei, um, you know, goes down to the, you know, catacombs or whatever uh, in the main show. It was sitting on the ground level for that scene, too. Right. Now they've got it up on a plinth. Right. It's like a, you know, on display and it's, you can tell how. Uh, the reverence. And, yeah. And uh, just uh, in awe of his life and you know like like they say in the show he was the last living creature to, to see old valeria um yeah. in, you know in its in wow, its strength man. so it's pretty crazy he was probably the oldest creature on earth at that point except for maybe melisandre who we don't <laughs> yeah i did hear that somebody supposed that oh it's you know it's 172 years before daenerys targaryen but it's like, oh, I mean, we know <laughs> Melisandre is pretty old. Yeah, keep your eyes out. We could get a Melisandre cameo, theoretically, although it's probably unlikely, considering she's probably yep. still a slave or something at this point. Um, and who knows? We Vagar is still alive. That's a Visenya's dragon, I believe. And uh, the the Aegon's, one of his two sister wives, the Conqueror. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the... Lady, the <laughs> the Targaryen who originally wielded Dark Sister. Well, not originally, but who had first wielded it over here after the conquest. Because it's an ancient sword from Valyria, I believe. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll see Vagar. He's out there. Somebody's going to have him. I bet, we, I bet he shows up sometime pretty soon. All right. Let's move on to, I will give my number two, which is the throne room. And man, the nice. throne room is looking way different than it did in Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, Robert Baratheon had flowers and florals going up the columns and stuff, but <laughs> not so much now. Yeah, he he had sort of, I, at some point after, um, by the time of the Mad King, they had all the dragon skulls lined up in the, in the, in the throne room, going from large to small, and... Uh, here we get to see that not only is the throne itself larger than it was in Game of Thrones, it's substantially larger and it's asymmetrical, which is, uh, it looks like it was directly based off of the um, illustration by Mark Simonetti from the World of Ice and Fire book with the way mm -hmm. it kind of flares off to, to the left as you're looking at it from the front. But not only is that really cool, we <laughs> the whole throne area is just like whoa like a field of spikes from with, with additional swords that i guess were just there were just too many for the throne so they decided to fill the whole area with with them and it looks terrifying imagine being a like a a small folk and going in there to petition the throne for to get back some you know like have be uh compensated for uh, goats that their dragons have, have burned on your property or something. Yeah, lost goats or lost cattle. Yeah. 
when we first, you know, we first see it uh, when and Damon is sitting on the throne. Yeah. Um, oh man. And it's like, oh wow, he he definitely has that I don't care attitude. Or, yeah. I'll do whatever I want. And this you know, reminds me of the city. Yeah. Wasn't, didn't we see Jamie like this at one point too? Kind of like sitting on the throne and like <laughs> like being all I snarky. Think, I think they did show a clip of that in some of Brand's, you know, uh, fever dreams, work dreams, but. You know, we hear him and Jamie, uh, I'm sorry, Jamie and Ned talk about it because that when Ned oh, came into the city right. during the, the, the sack of King's Landing, Ned found Jamie on the Iron Throne yeah, because he, that's had killed, he had killed the Mad King. So we didn't see it for a long, but I think maybe in season seven or eight, they just put a brief, you know, like fast little sequence of shots, you know, from Bran's dream of a dragon flying over the city and all yeah. that sort of thing. I can't remember. Right. Good, we, good memory. I'm pretty sure when when they finally showed the Mad King, you know, saying, burn, burn it all, burn them all, burn them all, <laughs> burn them all. Yeah. Um, so we may have seen Jamie, you know, with like blood on his sword sitting there for a brief second, but definitely in the books, Ned and Jamie have a, uh, not a showdown, but I mean, because Jamie Lee They willingly, sort of face off though, for sure. Yeah. You know, without coming to swords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a tense moment. And uh, yeah, I'm a little bit rusty with my lore because it's been a couple of years. Same. But, yeah, uh, same here. But it's starting to come back. So, <laughs> so that <laughs> we'll be we'll be back on point shortly enough. Uh, yeah. So Sir Harold Westerling is not stoked about that, but Rainier is pretty chill about it. Harold Westerling is Lord Commander of the King's Guard. Oh, so that he and the King and the throne room—that's all kind of his responsibility to, wow. to make sure that everything's done correctly and the king and his family are protected and all that. So uh, he walks in and, or escorts Rhaenyra in like, gods be good. Gods and, be good. Uh, because, I mean, that is just straight blasphemy, treason. Yeah, treason. Uh, and, and I think she says that in Valerian or maybe after once they're yeah, speaking. Yeah, I, tran- I wrote down this. I transcribed it. What do you think you're doing, uncle? Sitting, this could be well my chair one day. Not if you're executed for treason. <laughs> Damn. But she's kind of, it's kind of like a joking back and forth that they have, you know, where he's like, he's like, I'm back in town for, you know, I heard that he's hosting a tournament in my honor. <laughs> and she's like, oh, no, he's hosting a tournament for the air. And he's like. Right. <laughs> yeah. Again, just that as shows I you said. Damon's, yeah, Damon's mindset is like, oh, I'm the heir. So, you know, ha, ha, ha. This tournament is for me, you know. Yeah. But they both sort of smile about it. And it's like a bit of a playful yep. banter, it seems. Yep. So it seems like these two have, uh, like, they've got a little bit of uh, a relationship going there. They're, you know, not like, not, I don't mean like romantically, but they're they're like on good terms, these two. Very. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is that that other moment that we get with Daemon showing his sort of softer side, where the reason he's here basically is to bring her a gift that he bought her, which is really cool. It's a, a Valyrian steel necklace, like you know, like just like Dark Sister, like Blackfire, which we get a glimpse of later. We'll talk about that. Sorry to bring it up now, but uh, she's pretty excited about it. She takes off her gold necklace and uh, he places the Valyrian steel around her neck. And it's it's kind of a cool moment where he says, now you and I both own a small piece of our ancestry, which is pretty badass. I thought that was cool. Yeah, there's such Valyrian steel is such a, a rare and precious commodity in, yeah. in this universe, in this time frame. Um, and, you know, they, it was made in old Valyria, and there are a few uh, blacksmiths who knew how to remake it and reforge it. You know, people that Tywin Lannister employs to uh, 
re you know to reforge ice you yep. know after he um yeah, exactly. does what he does at the red wedding and but but still you know the, the doom of valeria is is well behind us you know even now at this point in the time timeline yeah. so any valerian still is uh, a very precious commodity I, I just wonder how that necklace would work if she used it against a white walker <laughs> or, uh, swings or right a white if he just swings it like a <laughs> Like a mace with no ball on the end of it. <laughs> anyway, I mean, it might work. Yeah, I know. Is it just contact with Valyrian steel that kills a uh, White Walker, or does it have to pierce the skin and contact blood? It's an interesting experiment. <laughs> That'd be, that be nice. funny as hell to find out. But yeah, every once in a while, you know, a maester, if they're like a super good maester, as they're forging their rings of their necklace, they'll learn how to reforge Valyrian steel, and they'll have a Valyrian steel ring hanging around their neck. So. That's pretty special when when they get to that level and they're able to do that. Yeah, I think those um, those those maesters um, once if they forge a um, if they forge that Valyrian ring, I think that's that they've mastered the 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 studies of like the darker arts, you know, the mysteries of you know using the glass candles. Oh and, man, you know, seeing across, you know, sort of like a palantir from Lord of the Rings. Um, nice. and using, you know, learning about, you know, those, the, the more magical side of this universe is, um, you know, when they forge their, their Valyrian steel ring. Uh, but I didn't, I was going to ask you, I didn't, I didn't see the maesters have, they were dressed differently now With than, funky than they were hats. in the original show. Like they Walter had their Frey little, hats, right? Their little, ex exactly. <laughs> their little Frey hats. And I think um, I saw a chain on Maester Melos. Okay, Mellos. yeah, and so their robes were different. I mean, Pycelle, their robes in the original Pycelle, show always oh God, always looked like their robes looked like like beggars almost. They were just like sackclothers, you know, burlap mm. or something really cheap. Um, but these guys are a little bit more fancy. But I, I didn't notice their you know their rings you know, or their chain. That's what it's called, chained. And when a maester gets certified, they, it's called chained and sworn. I can't remember. There's a phrase like once you're a Certified Maester. Nice. Um, but anyway, there, I was wondering. I was wondering if you had noticed the a chain on the Maesters because Pycelle's was obviously, and all the other Maesters in the original show, it was very obvious. It hung outside their their garment, um, way down low, almost mm -hmm. down, you know, past their chest. Yep. I think I saw. I, I'm pretty sure I saw a chain. It's interesting. You paid more attention to the clothing, and I was like, "Oh, I see the chain. That's how I know he's a Maester." Nice. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we. We definitely uh, have some some different styling of the maesters, which is pretty cool. Interesting is to see how everything evolves over time. That uh, that pretty much wraps up my number two. How about you? What do you what do you got? All right, uh, my number two is I think what is going to be the water cooler conversation piece uh, of this first episode is you know the tournament overlaid with Emma in the birthing scene. All right, how those all right. two those two are intercut and just. How just brutal and I mean truly medieval it was, you know, for women to to give birth, you know, or if there was complications. Yeah. How I mean, it wasn't even fifty fifty back then. What do you do? You I can't mean, give a milk of the poppy either, right? Because that would be right, they, potentially harmful. They said, to you the know, babe. she's screaming when when Viserys first gets back there. She's screaming and in pain. He's like, "Give her something." And Melo says, oh, "We've given her as much milk of the poppy without risking the child." Oh, and oh yeah, I missed you that. Know, so, I mean, in any, I mean, even nowadays, if, you know, if you give, you know, pain medicine to the mom, you know, it can 
get into the bloodstream of the baby, but yep. makes you thankful for modern day medicine. But um, earlier in the episode, um, Emma was talking to Rhaenyra and said, you know, the childbed is our battlefield. Yeah. We must face it. We must face it with a stiff lip. So and there hasn't been a war in, you know, I think they said some 60 or 70 years and all these knights and um, squires, you know, haven't had a war to fight and test their, you know, prowess in a long time. So these tournaments are just their their way to rage and uh, get get out all their, you know, pent up anger and aggression and everything. Who is it? Rainey's so, that mentioned that? Yeah, how how uh, ter- how and the uh, she sort of has a she's drinking and knowing things um, in the tournament. She's and the day grows ugly. I think was what yeah. she said. Yeah, the, or t- violent. It's interesting how the the birthing scene and the tournament both start off well. They follow the same sort of trajectory. They're going well, yep. and then violence starts at the tournament, and then immediately after that, the birthing scene goes bad, and they both go just downhill big time. Um, and interesting that she mentioned that, you know, these guys aren't these like they're like you, you're talking about, they come to the tournaments to get out, get out their anger and stuff like that, but they don't know battle. It was just like, um, uh, Catelyn Stark at, at Renly's little tournament that he had where Brienne of Tarth was fighting Sir Loras and she beat him to be, become on, uh, Renly's Kingsguard. And while she was meeting with Catelyn Stark, Catelyn said like, these are just summer soldiers, you know, none of them have experienced battle. They, they don't know what it, they're not ready for winter and winter is coming, you know? So that was like a cool, uh, parallel to game of Thrones that gave us like a little bit of, um, an illusion or, a a, a, a evoked game of Thrones, uh, itself, which was pretty cool. Yep. Nights, uh, green as summer grass. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, anything else you want to mention about that? Not really. Uh, I mean, it starts off and, and, and Emma's in pain. Um, but then as, as her, as you know, Melos, you know, pulls Viserys aside and say, sometimes it's, you know, the father has to make an impossible choice. And then once they start that, you know, Caesarean section, it, a lot of her screams, you know, in the sound mix, uh, start to be muted and you see her screaming and writhing in pain. Oh yeah, um, it was so cu- brutal. Cut, and they're cutting her, and then they, when you know they pull the baby out, but the violence of the tournament, you know, when it cuts back to there, you know, it's very loud, and you're hearing, you know, the horses and the lances and swords, you know, the few times that it go, it come, you know, they get knocked off, and then but they, you know, pick up a sword. Right, they're showing the parallel of the two different battlefields. Right, you know, those in this universe, you know, the battlefield for women, you know, is is the childbed. So that you know, so. It's just so, I mean, in a good, in a complicated free uh, labor and delivery, you know, it was probably 50-50. But if a baby is breached like that and can't be turned, you know, the correct, in the correct position uh, to be birthed, I mean, it's, is really, really bad, you know, for, for both of them, you know, potentially as we see here, but definitely, you know, very, very bad for the oh, mother. Man. Yeah, Especially so in, when it's a queen. And yeah. the king lacks a male heir, yeah. which is the you know the position that Viserys gets puts into, which it I mean, this is just I mean brutal and awful. And oh man, she, she kind of uh, she kind of sealed her own fate also with uh, their previous conversation that they were having when she was in the bathtub. She had said to him like, "This is the last time, you know. I've had all these stillborns. I've had these miscarriages. Like I can't do it again. This is the last one." 
And so when faced with this impossible choice between the wife and the child, knowing that the wife is not willing to make another child, she kind of forced his hand into picking the child, uh, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, just so brutal. A quote from um, A Clash of Kings in one of the Catlin chapters. Um, Catlin says, uh, knights die in battle. Catlin reminded her. Brienne looked at her with those blue and beautiful eyes as ladies die in childbed. No one sings songs about them. Woof. So, man. Damn, how do you have time to do this research, bro? You're like the busiest dude on the planet. <laughs> a lot of it, I, you know, I just come across on Twitter and then I just screenshot it and, <laughs> nice. uh, and just save it to my phone where I can just find it and click on it. And uh, so there's some, yeah. some really good. Um, that was from at Sir A-S-O-I-F on Twitter. So, so S-E-R and then A Song of Ice and Fire, just the acronym. Good stuff. On Twitter. He's a good follow. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to have to subscribe to or follow him as well. While we're mentioning the uh, the birthing scene, I noticed something something on Viserys's hip that could have been potentially useful in that scene. Um, you might recognize okay. it from when Catelyn had to save Bran in a, a Game of Thrones in season one when Joffrey sent the assassin to go take him out, the cat's paw dagger. He's got it on him the whole time, and he keeps reaching down and touching it and looking at it. It's a Valyrian steel. It's the sharpest sword in that room, or the sharpest blade in that room, unless the maester has a Valyrian steel blade, which is possible. I hadn't considered that until this moment. But I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm thinking that, oh my God, he's going to take out that dagger and offer it to, to use it for the C-section. I was thinking if it's the sharpest blade there, it would make the cleanest cuts, the least painful. Um, but didn't happen. So I'm going to assume the maester has Valyrian steel as well. <laughs> he has a Valyrian steel scalpel. scalpel. Yeah, maybe they, the maesters, once they forge their Valyrian steel ring, they just make a whole bunch of scalpels and distribute them around the whole, <laughs> whole Westeros uh, Seven nice. Kingdoms. Yeah. Um, so is it, what is it? My turn now, my number three here? Sure, go for it. All right. My number three is Dragon Dreams as a whole. And we've got a few scenes that kind of reference this type of thing. We're at the bathtub scene where Emma is, is in the tepid water and uh, we see Viserys is placing his hand over the candle flames earlier. And I'm wondering, you know, could he be a true dragon impervious to fire like Daenerys, Daenerys as she walked through the burning hut and emerged from the raging inferno at Vice Dothrak? which was mm -hmm. epic. And uh, Emma in the tub says, after this miserable pregnancy, I wouldn't be surprised if I hatched an actual dragon, which is referencing how multiple Targaryen women have given birth to hideous, deformed, scaly children that are stillborn and sort of resembled dragons. None of them have survived birth. Even Danny, her child, Rago, was born in this manner. Uh, mm -hmm. scaly and deformed with the meat sloughing off of his bones uh, mm. as they describe in the books. So that was pretty intense. And uh, <laughs> Viserys here is talking about um, his dream that he had of the baby coming out of the womb with, uh, with wearing Aegon's iron circlet, his, his little crown. And uh, 
he mentions that Danny is the dreamer had saved the the Targaryen line from the doom of Valyria when she had a, a prophecy in the form of a dream that warned warned them of the doom and nobody believed her but she forced them to leave anyway and then the doom occurred and the Targaryens were spared because of that dream and so it's it's interesting it seems that many Targaryens are obsessed with their dreams um, and for good reason, considering how Dany's dream actually did save the Targaryens. But we have Rhaegar, who dreamed of the prince that was promised, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, you know, Dany has dragon dreams as well in the books. And uh, others throughout the Targaryen line are plagued with these dreams. And they're probably terrified of them because of the story of Dany's. And uh, they they become so obsessed with them. Unfortunately, uh, they normally result in the horrors and, <laughs> and self-fulfilling prophecies that result in destruction and death and chaos. Like the tragedy at Summerhall, I think was a big, bad exactly. negative result of, uh, is that Rhaegar or am I thinking of well, the Rhaegar one? was born. Rhaegar, I believe oh, he was born, Rhaegar at, was born the, at Summerhall. Right. It was, so it was, egg. It egg was, was having the, the dreams that led him to like, feverishly try to hatch a dragon and catch the right. whole place and, on fire. And then Ares, the Mad King, you know, was having all, he was tripping on all sorts of stuff, you know, <laughs> and, and became literally crazy. Um, that was, you know, ended up being the downfall, the end of the downfall of the Targaryen dynasty. Yeah, definitely. Um, in this scene, we also get a mention of Visenya from, uh, Oh, Rhaenyra wanted, thought that, that Emma was going to have a, a, a child that was a girl and even named her preemptively, and she named her Visenya. And I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about it a little later on, but we get all these parallels between Rhaenyra and Arya Stark, who also was obsessed with Nymeria. Rhaenyra is um, you know, wanting to name her Visenya. Visenya was one of Aegon the Conqueror's two sister wives, the original wielder of Dark Sister, a fearless warrior and potentially a sorceress, if I remember correctly. And uh, she's responsible for creating the Kingsguard after she and Aegon the Conqueror were attacked in the street and Aegon barely survived. And he was like, eh, you know, I don't, I don't need any better protection. And so uh, Visenya busted out her sword and sliced one of his, his protectors on the face just to prove that he was poorly protected and she managed to convince him and create the King's guard, which has probably helped subsequently. Uh, so that's interesting, but yeah, we're, we're, uh, we have this mention of Viserys's dream here of the, the baby being born, wearing a crown and everything. And em, Emma, the queen, his queen is like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> you know, birth, birth is already painful enough with the, the head is already large enough. It doesn't need to be any bigger with, <laughs> with a crown on it. You know, brutal. Yeah. So we, uh, we get to see how pretty quickly in short order, how Viserys's dream does not play out as he imagined it, just like many of the Targaryens as, uh, we get to the tournament and, uh, everything goes bad and everything goes bad with the birth. And it just shows that you can't trust your dreams except for like, except for Danny's for some reason. But Interestingly, at that tournament, I noticed uh, everything is starting. Viserys is giving a speech, and then Rhaenyra comes running in and sits down. 
and it reminded me of Arya. So first of all, both of these series, House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones, in episode one, start with a tournament, right? We have the tournament for the hand, which King Robert is setting up in Ned's honor at Winterfell. And we have the tournament for the heir here. And in both cases, uh, we have the, the, the tomboy daughter showing up late to, for like a major thing. So as King Robert is arriving at Winterfell, Arya shows up late and she's wearing a helmet. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And Ned is like, what are you doing? What's going on right now? <laughs> yeah, Catelyn like makes her take off the helmet. And here we get another parallel with, with Rhaenyra and Arya as she so- shows up late for the for the festival. And I thought that was funny. Interestingly, we get a mention of a mystery knight at the tournament here, which was, was kind of cool because the concept of a mystery knight uh, comes up a few times in, in this story. And I thought this was neat because one of the most uh, legendary occurrences of the mystery knight is the knight of the laughing tree who who uh, gets revenge for a, a scorned Cranog man who was kind of you know, abused by a few squires. And people thought yep. that, uh, people s- uh, suspected that the knight of the laughing tree may have actually been Lyanna Stark, who is a right. n- notoriously skilled horseback rider. So mm-hmm. that was kind of cool. At the, yeah, at the, the great tourney at Harrenhal. Yeah, 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 exactly. So hearing the mention of a mystery knight kind of uh, evoked that in my mind. Yep, same. And then we get to see uh, a Baratheon here who kind of disrespects the queen who never was, as he calls her. Uh I was like, damn, that's a dick thing to say. But it was cool to see the Baratheon sigil. And uh, like you mentioned, Gurm wanting to see uh, like more colors and stuff. We get the bright bright yellow shield that he's got with the the crown stag interestingly i might have told you this i discovered that in my ancestry um a few generations back as this family bets their surname and the sigil of the of bets is a, a crowned stag interestingly enough nice so very that, cool so knowing that now i feel a special kind of kinship to uh to house baratheon but uh it's it's kind of a common thing in English uh, house crests or whatever. There's like a whole bunch mm-hmm. of different animals that all have, they're emerging from different kind of crowns depending on what level of nobility uh, the, the lord of the household would be. Nice. Um, at this tournament also we get mentions of Stokeworth and Tarly calling to mind Lolly's Stokeworth, Bronze, Fugly mm-hmm. Wife, <laughs> and, <laughs> and Samwell Tarly. Samwise Gamgee of uh, A Song of Ice and Fire. So that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Jon Snow's Samwise. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We get some really cool, um, just to explain how I'm like kind of off the, the subject of Dragon Dreams. I, I I took all the scenes of Dragon Dreams and put them in order just to like kind of go through each scene um, as they go. Um, but we get some cool first person shots like like video game kind of shots where you're looking out of the visor during the jousting. You're like watching as, as Damon is approaching, uh, Sir Kristen Cole and, or one of those guys, maybe uh, actually I actually think it was the high tower that he, what a cheap uh, shot. His, his first opponent. Yeah. yeah. He took out the the horse, man, that was, that was messed up. Dude. Right. Yeah. After <laughs> both getting good licks on the, the first pass, he comes back on the second pass and he's like, well, I'm going to pull out all the stops and, uh, takes the horse out from under him. Which I thought, you know, maybe someone at the tournament, you know, Lord Hightower 
or um, well, I guess he's not Lord because I think they said Otto Hightower is secondborn son. Anyway, the hand of the king, Otto Hightower. I yeah. thought he might cry foul. I don't know <laughs> if there's if there's rules for a tournament like that where you you can't joust the horse or you can't you know trip the horse. But there should be. I guess it's I guess it's uh, poor no horse barred like backyard uh, backyard yeah, brawling. Wrestling. There's no rules in the uh, <laughs> Westerosi tournaments. It's just whatever goes. Crazy too how Damon doesn't have a face shield. On his helmet, he could right, get because it, because it's Matt Smith. You can't cover up yeah, Matt yeah. Smith's beautiful face. <laughs> I think it was uh, one of the uh, King Richards in England. Correction: It's Henry the Second of France who was killed in a joust when a splinter from a um, one of the uh, the lances went lances. into his helmet. Oh, brutal! But uh, we get to see some interaction here with uh, Sir Harold and Rhaenyra. Uh, when she's asking about Kristen Cole, wondering who he is. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was kind of cool because Sir Harold reminds me of Davos visually. They, they're very yeah. similar looking and even mm-hmm. their voice kind of sounds similar to me. So he's like kind of a, a great casting for this show because it just, he just fits right in uh, with, with established, uh, you know, looks and sounds and everything. But the, the relationship between... Sir Harold, Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, and Rhaenyra kind of reminds me of Davos and Stannis's daughter. Also, the way that they're kind of like buddy buddy and uh, and everything like that. So that that was kind of cool. I liked that whole connection. We also get a mention of uh, Sir Harold is explaining here. He mentions how Sir Criston is common born, the son of Lord Dondarrion's steward. We're getting all these name drops here that are like mm-hmm. putting us back in, in Game of Thrones mode. Uh, so here it's evoking Beric Dondarrion, which is pretty cool. I yep, like that mention. Mm-hmm. And Rhaenyra seems to be particularly intrigued by Sir Criston Cole. So I'm wondering if this is possible foreshadowing of him being important in some kind of way. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, I, think, I think so, and um, I think the Dondarians are a house from the Stormlands. Um, I can double yeah, check and look that so. up, but that sounds right. <laughs> so they they said it was a son of his steward, but then he takes off his helmet, and uh, Alicent Hightower, you know, says, "Oh my goodness, he's Dornish." He's Dornish. So I guess his um, his Dondarian steward had or had a Dornish steward, you know, or hooked up with a Dornish you know, woman and, you know, had a Dornish child. But anyway, so, but the Stormlands, you know, you know, butt up, they're adjacent to Dorne. And, you know, the Dornish marches are where the the Stormlands and then the Reach, you know, sometimes, you know, had battles and wars with the Dornish people um, through the mm. mountain passes and stuff. So, I mean, it makes sense that, that interesting some Dornish people would might be in the Stormlands and then a Stormland lord might have a steward or servants, you know, from, from Dorne. So I thought it was interesting to to get mentions of House Dondarrion and yeah. the fact that, that Kristen, I had forgotten that Kristen Cole is Dornish. Yeah. And uh, I noticed um, as uh, as Damon rides up for the first time with his, on his horse that he's got the wings sticking off of his helmet, the dragon wings, but it looks like they're made of rubber because I saw one kind of like bouncing around a little bit. I was like, oh, Man, like, <laughs> nice. drove me crazy. Hightower, the the uh, jouster, his helmet looked really cool. It was like sh- in the shape of a tower with crenellations and stuff. 
Yeah, I noticed that the second time. I think I saw a tweet or something about it, and uh, I looked at it for his helmet on the second watch. And, uh, I mean, the helmet itself is pretty normal, but on the top, it's just like a little somebody welded or however they, I mean, they didn't have <laughs> weld, however they welded things, they blacksmithed it, I guess, a little, you know, tower from the high tower and just boop, just popped it <laughs> right on the top <laughs> of his helmet. It's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And I noticed that the tip of Damon's lance is like a bronze closed fist. Yeah, it's a fist. That's bah, cool. Punching people. So that was pretty cool. So, yeah, then we see how the birth goes badly and... um and it, his dream is just not going the right way at all uh, compared to what he sees in his mind. And uh, I was surprised to see Damon being defeated because he's pretty renowned as like an excellent warrior, like the best of this age, I think. And so yep. that was a really cool shot how he's, he kind of like falls off the horse and he's being dragged sideways along the top of the, the, the rail at the center of the list. Did you like, notice oh the sound? What did it sound like? Like when when he when he's off the horse, but he's like getting drug across the top of that rail. It's this like screeching, like metal on metal. It's a really cool sound to nice. like listen to it. Like, <laughs> and then he you know reaches the end of it. It's like boom! It's the ground. <laughs> that was so cool. It was cool. Oh, cool man. sound design. And uh, apparently, you can decide to. <laughs> continue in a contest of arms if you fall off your horse. Right, you fall off your horse and you don't get blinded yeah, like yeah, yeah. Um, Sir Gwaine Hightower. I'm oh. pretty sure he's the one going forward. He's blind and I know that I may be thinking of a different Hightower oh, or a different, man. Or different uh, Tyrell. I'm thinking of a Tyrell somewhere in the story who was blinded. I thought an attorney, but it could have been from something. It may have been from war. That's rugged. Um, I can't remember one eye or both eyes anyway. I'm, uh, <laughs> pretty pretty interesting that and of course, you know, Damon selected Hightower as his first opponent. Right, because he hates you know, he's, the hand. He's at odds with the the hand, uh, Otto Hightower. Yep. So it's uh he's very purposeful in who he who he chooses there. And I did I believe Damon won a lot of tournaments in his day, but I did remember there was um, one from, time. from the books, from the books that in this in this particular tournament an up and coming uh, young knight. Uh, I guess he's a because they some sir. They call already call him Sir Kristen Cole. I yeah. Think. So he must. Uh, he's already a knight. Um, I don't think they let squires joust, do they? In a tournament, um, there may be like a squire. There may be like a yeah, squire round. Of, <laughs> yeah, of maybe jousting. like the amateur, like, right? The the uh, minor league, <laughs> the kids' jousts. table at the Thanksgiving. Exactly. Um, um, it was, but in this case, that that Damon lost uh, yeah. the joust to. Uh, Sir Kristen Cole. Very surprising. And I thought it was nuts that he pulled out Dark Sister, the Valyrian steel sword to use in the contest of arms instead of a blunted tourney sword, which is kind of what you would expect at a tourney. Right. Um, a normal situation, you know, yeah. or, or in, in the melee, there's, you know, they blunted. have maces and morning stars, but, you know, they have a tournament sword, you know, where people aren't going to die. But as we saw that that one guy got his face completely, just you know, mashed potato, ripped apart. So yeah, these and, uh, this, these tournaments are uh, definitely hardcore. We did see a morning start too with Cole wielding that, which was really cool. And Damon beats him at first, and he starts to prematurely celebrate like the Red Viper. We know how that works mm, out. Yeah, so he got taken out that. from behind and forced to yield, <laughs> which is crazy. But he still wouldn't say the word. I mean, he yielded in action, but he still couldn't yeah, bring himself yeah, yeah. to say in the action. words. Yeah, I yield. <laughs> good point. Good point. So, I mean, Damon definitely has pride issues. But you know, like, yeah, you know, I noticed that too. He does. You know, he does his victory lap, and then 
Christian Cole, you know, ends up turning the tables on him. I'm like, oh, no, it's Oberon all over again. Yep. And he's defeated. And it's at this point that Queen Emma sadly dies, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so, so it's kind of funny how Viserys had said that he was more sure about the child being a boy than anything in his whole life. But then he was so thrashed by the horrific uh, scene of the C-section and everything that it had shaken his confidence and his whole foundation of his belief system, it seemed, because when the maester tells him it's a boy, he's like, he's like, it's a boy. <laughs> like, you can hardly even believe it. Seems yeah, surprised. Totally in shock. Yeah. And disbelief. What a mess. So the next uh, mention of dragon dreams that we get is the epic stories about Danes and Aegon that we get from Viserys as he meets with Rhaenyra before Balerion's enormous skull. Tells her there's something that he needs to tell her. Might be difficult to understand, but that ambition is not what drove Aegon to, to, to conquer the Seven Kingdoms. It was out of necessity based on a dream that he had where a terrible winter would uh, would gust out of the distant north and he saw absolute darkness riding on those winds and whatever dwells within would destroy the world of the living. Clearly, he's talking about the events of season eight, the, the, the new long, wind, the long night that's approaching. And uh, man, I got goosebumps. I got him again, even just thinking yeah. about this right now. Ooh, so intense and uh Aegon called his dream the song of F ice and fire and if i remember correctly Rhaegar or no uh egg egg in his dreams that spurned the hatching of the dragon or the attempted hatching of the dragon at summerhall he had prophesied from a dream the prince that was promised and and his shall be the song of ice and fire if i remember Quote, uh, the quote, and it was interesting, right at this moment when he mentions the Song of Ice and Fire, the mournful dragon music begins to play that we uh, are familiar with from um, Daenerys and the dragons on the strings. Yep. You know, so that was pretty intense. And he tells her, this secret's been passed from king to heir since Aegon's time. Now you must promise to carry it and protect it. Promise me this, Rhaenyra. Promise me. Promise me. Promise me, Ned. Yeah. Promise me. So that was clearly- Take care of the boy. Yeah, a reference to Lyanna Stark's dying wishes to Ned and uh, possibly foreshadowing the death of Viserys, you know, which, oh. we, which we know has got to happen for the, the dance to occur. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, damn, pretty intense. And that wraps up Dragon Dreams for me, number three. How about you? Wow, that, yeah, just a little bit more on, on that, how they're... Sure. I mean, they're not changing the canon. They're adding, you know, this really cool piece of Aegon wasn't just the conqueror, you know, for the sake of conquering, that he, you know, somehow had this dream. Um, I mean, not really a prophecy, you know, like in the Matrix, you know, you know, the prophecy, you know, or in Star Wars where uh, Neo. You know, the prophecy... You're the supposed to, one. you know, bring balance to the force, you know, the <laughs> chosen one. But it's just it's more like a dream or or a premonition, um, you know, from the gods or from the universe or you know, however you want to kind of describe it. In and this, he ended up being know, right, <laughs> right, and um, and the kingdom was divided and, when the when the White Walkers came. 
Yeah, you know, because, you know, his, you know, great, 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 great grandson, Ares, you know, had been overthrown and usurped and, you know, uh, what they call it, War of the Five Kings. Um, yeah, I think so. Because Robert, or no, after Robert died, you know, you had Tom, you know, Joffrey. Oh, yeah, Stannis, yeah, yeah. The Rinley, of Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah, yeah, Rob. And Ty, I can't remember. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we- um, so many different players <laughs> um, with different claims to the throne. Um, yep. So it's, you know, it's, it's really cool that, I mean, some people are saying it's too on the nose for him to say the phrase, a song of ice and fire. I don't think um, so. To, and that it's just marketing and branding to tie in uh, House of the Dragon to Game of Thrones. Just everybody knows that this is a Game of Thrones prequel series. You got the Targaryens, got the Starks, you got some p- new people that you didn't have back then, the Valerians yep. and the High Tower. The High Towers were still around, but they just never <laughs> really made it into the story of Game of Thrones. Yeah, um, yeah, true. But <laughs> the to tie the two together and with this passing down uh this information, this critical, vital information from Aegon to his son to Magor and on and on and on um, down to from Jaehaerys to Viserys and now to Rhaenyra. And then when um, the Targs are taken out, it's like the it gets lost in the wind. and Right. No, and somehow it gets lost in to history. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, you know, this isn't a spoiler. This is just me, you know, with a theory, crackpot time, uh, ZB's crackpot uh, corner, <laughs> um, that in the, the you know a lot of things are going to be lost dragons are going to be lost um in this dance magic magic but I is think, lost i think one of these things that may be lost is this passing of information yeah uh, about the coming darkness you know the, lo- the long winter that's coming because now Rhaenyra knows but if she you know well i don't want to give anything away about the future story but a poetic uh irony or tragedy that may happen going forward um that this information that's only passed from being king to successor could potentially be lost, you know, in the coming dance is mm-hmm. uh, pretty, you know, the 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 ramifications or the, the what's at stake, you know, is, you know, the fate of Westeros potentially. It's crazy. So, Didn't cool. Melisandre, she was familiar with the concept of the prince that was promised, correct? Right. And Azor High. I can't remember which one she yeah. called it. Oh yeah, you she know, was obsessed people with had Azor different Ahai. names. Didn't Dan did Danny's older brother Viserys, did he know about the prince that was promised? Uh, I know Rhaegar, that was part of part of his Oh Rhaegar, you know, Rhaegar. Yeah. So I think we yeah. You know, being obsessed about the prince that was promised and, and that sort of thing. And talking and, about it you know, to Danny. What, but if the dance hadn't happened or it had, had turned out differently, maybe this information Everybody continues would. to get passed on, passed on through yeah. the Targaryen line down to, you know, from Ares, the Mad King, to Rhaegar. And maybe that changes what happens with Yeah, because we get caught and, off guard big time. Right. And, I mean, some theorize that, that Rhaegar's meeting at the great tournament at Her- Hall was to basically devise a way, you know, with the lords, you know, of the great houses – to, I mean, he's the he's the successor. Rhaegar was, but the Ares, he knew that Ares was going down a bad path. Right. So he needed, right. you know. So and that, but that's a theory that Rhaegar was trying to, right. you know, find a way that. politically, you know, without a war 
<laughs> to uh, get rid of the Mad King, <laughs> you know, and install himself. Mm. And, but obviously that didn't happen. But if 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 Ares and Rhaegar had known firsthand from their father or grandfather about the coming long night, you know, they probably would have been like, okay, let's let's keep ourselves, you know, straightened out yeah. and not crazy and get ready for the long winter. Yeah, and people speculate that Bran had been sending him messages telepathically or the the Raven, you know, the Three-Eyed right. Raven, the Burn the Mall. He may have been seeing visions of the White Walkers and the dead coming from the north. And um, more dragon dreams, potentially. Yeah, so pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> pretty crazy. All right, so uh, what's your number three, brother? Awesome. My number three is the Great Council of 101. Nice. I mean, we, we're dropped right into the series, we you know, with... so. The voice of the the prologue, the voiceover, is Rhaenyra, but it's not Millie Alcock who plays young Rhaenyra that we see in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's Emma Dar- Darcy, Darcy, however you pronounce right, her name. Right, yeah. The French. actress, the actress who plays grown Rhaenyra, who obviously we've yet to see. Yeah. Um, so, and she says, you know, it's the daughter of Viserys because she, you know, introduces the great council. The only thing that can tear down house Targaryen is it's is itself. Um, and she says, my father was chosen, um, at the great council by all the Lords paramount of the seven kingdoms, you know, yada, yada. So they, right there, we know that it's Rhaenyra talking because she's the only living child that right. we know of, of Viserys at that point, you know, what happens with, you know, young baby Balon mm-hmm. in this episode, but it's the older Rhaenyra telling this story, you know. Crazy, yeah. I, of, I didn't realize how it that started. at the time that it was the older version. I didn't realize there was yeah, more than I one version, tell. you know, like until right, I was because, looking at IMDb. So we're still we're still some twenty years before you know the actual dance. So begins. we're gonna get a time jump at some point. Yeah, or I mean, it may slowly, and they're saying that this, you know, uh, Emma Darcy doing this voiceover may be sort of a bridge. From now, the beginning of the story with Viserys and Rhaenyra and their family to it's a bridge to the next, you know, whenever we get the time jump to to when the dance actually starts. If 20 years go by and Rhaenyra is supposed to be eight or nine years old right now, um, maybe a little older. She looks like she's 13 or 14 to me. But anyway, you know how TV people look younger and older at random times. (laughs) Um, But. If 20 years go by, they, I mean, they can't really have this, you know, it's not, it wouldn't really be functional to try to age up, you know, an actress. So they just basically cast young veneer. Uh, I'm sorry, young Rhaenyra and older, you know, 25 or 30 year old something Rhaenyra. Good to know. Two different actresses. So she does the voiceover and we see, you know, this crowd is this dark room. And then it took me like three or four seconds, you know, the, the, the maesters or whoever those dudes are. Uh, walking forward with the chest, you know, in this little processional. And I'm like, oh, they're at Harrenhal. I had forgotten that the Great Council of 101 is at Harrenhal. Yeah, and it's of course, all I'm ruined. Like, some people were like, oh, we're going to see Harrenhal and it's going to be awesome. I'm like, no, Harrenhal was burned in the conquest. Yeah, I so had totally you know, forgotten a lot of stuff in the, like the three years <laughs> between the things. So I was like, oh, cool. We're going to see Harrenhal. I think I said that. It was probably me that said that oh, to okay. you. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, no, no, no. I was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. we did see it, but it's you know it was it was it seemed like it was more intact than we saw Heron Hall in Game of Thrones. I mean, it was a ruin at that point when Tywin is using it as a base um, in the Riverlands, you know, for right. his war against Robb Stark. But we see it, you know, in darkness. But it's still, you know, a total broken shell. 
And, you know, it sort of it looked a little bit like how the Red Keep looked oh, as Daenerys at, yeah, is with all the snow. You know, destroying everything um, in the in the series finale of Game of Thrones. It's just dark. And I just everything about the Great Council is a great place to start the story. It's a prologue. Yeah, and then we so jump, good. you know, another few years to where this starts when Rhaenyra you nine know, years a young later, girl. maybe. So it's is really awesome to to see Heron Hall. It's still a ruin, but functional and usable for a but it's huge. It's humongous. And that's why they held it there. It's in the middle of the continent, more or less. Um, but it can hold oh, I mean, Lords from the North, Lords from the West, Lords yeah. from the Vale, um, the Reach, the Stormlands, really cool. Uh, I did a little research on this to remind myself about the details. And Heron Hall was the biggest castle ever built in the Seven Kingdoms by Heron the Black yep. on the north shore of the God's Eye. It's a giant lake with a big island south of the Trident and west of the King's Road. Five dizzyingly tall towers and walls to match. The shortest tower was five, uh, 1.5 times as tall as the tallest tower of Winterfell. It's enormously Great. thick walls where you have to pass through 12 murder slots are only rivaled by the Storm's End, the Baratheon Castle, which has walls 40 feet thick. The, I, the just, hall that they're in here is the Hall of the Hundred Hearths, but in reality, it only crazy. has 30 to 35 hearths, but it could fit an entire army within. It's impenetrable from every direction except above. Heron the Black mm -hmm. did not count on Aegon and the dragons. It, coincidentally, it was the day that Heron the Black moved in to to Heron Hall that Aegon landed in King's Landing from Dragonstone atop Balerion to begin the conquest. And as we so see crazy. Yeah, as we see it's totally trashed. Balerion melted the towers, roasting the people inside, including Black Heron and his whole family, basically. Brutal. So bonkers. Another cool thing about this scene was that we got to see Jaharis, the former king. Yeah, the old king. Yeah, the conciliator, the wise, the old king. It's our first time seeing him, which is really cool. At 101 AC, which is after the conquest AC, uh, he's the fourth Targaryen king, but he's held the throne for more than half of the entire Targaryen dynasty at this point. The longest ruling Targaryen king ever. He rode Vermithor, which is a badass name, the third largest dragon. His reign was the most prop prosperous of all the Targaryen kings. And thus, at this point now, we're experiencing Westeros at its height of the height of its decadence, just beginning to you know fall a little bit as uh, under the the reign of the you know sort of weak king Viserys. Uh, but it's like we, we're going to see all kinds of opulence and and things like that, which will be really cool. Jaehaerys was the first king to truly unite Westeros, and uh, it's sort of like in remindful of Pax Romana, an extended period of peace during Rome. He's regarded uh, as one of the best Targaryen kings by a lot of the Westerosi historians who, uh, you know, are, comment on this extended time of peace that that he uh, brought to them. Do you have anything else to add about this? No, that's it for me. All right. I got one other thing uh, to point out about this scene. A lot of times in our episodes, we do Game of Thrones and history. And we'll just pick a generic subject from Game of Thrones and have the real-world counterpart. But this episode has a couple that are taking place in the episode, so I figure why not cover it as we're actually nice. talking about the scene, right? So at this point, it says, Jaehaerys called the Great Council to prevent a war being fought over his succession, for he knew the cold truth. The one thing that could tear down the House of the Dragon was itself. And the real-world counterpart to this 
is Abraham Lincoln from the Lyceum Address, uh, he's, where he said, At what point shall we expect the approach of danger? By what means shall we fortify against it? Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to step the ocean and crush us at a blow? Never. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined with the treasure of the earth, our own accepted, in their military chest, with, with a Bonaparte for a commander, could not by force take a drink from the Ohio or make a track on the Blue Ridge in a trial of a thousand years. At what point then is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer, if it ever reach us, it must spring up among us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. So Lincoln kind of predicted a similar thing about the United States saying that it's impossible for an outside enemy to take us if it take us down. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen from the inside. Wow. What was the date from that? Uh, good question. I'm not exactly sure. Okay, <laughs> I, I thought you said the it text. at the beginning and I missed it. It was from uh, the, the Lyceum address, L-Y-C-E-U-M. I'd have to, I'll add the date in mm-hmm. in post-production. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, during this whole scene, uh, I think it's worth noting that as Jaharis reads the results of the council, that it's Viserys who will be nomina- nominated as the, uh, as the heir. He accepts the results, but he does not look happy about it. My guess is that, personally, he, he would have chosen Rainey's, but he felt it would have ruined his legacy of peace that he worked so hard to forge and secure. And, right. Uh, it, in house, in um, Fire and Blood, or uh, what's the name of the book? Yeah, Fire and Blood? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I thought would be a better name for the show than House of the Dragon, but they didn't, <laughs> yeah, ask, they didn't cool. ask my opinion uh, when they were they developing didn't? the show. So anyway, in Fire and Blood, they I think they talk about, you know, what they, you know, because Fire and Blood is written from the perspective of this Grand Maester or Archmaester Gildane putting together this history of House Targaryen. Anyway, so I think he talks about what he thinks, you know, from a historical perspective. Um what Jaharis, who, you know, which claimant uh, Jaharis would have, you know, picked if it was just up to him. I mean, he's king, but he brought the council together so that it wasn't just him picking Rhaenys or somebody else. What did he, what did Gildan think? I, I, I can't remember what, what he, you know, <laughs> surmises that Jaharis would have picked, but, um, phone's ringing. Um, but it's, it's pretty interesting that instead of the king just deciding his successor, then they he brought together the great council um, that Lincoln Lyceum address uh, January twenty seventh eighteen thirty eight oh man so twenty like two twenty three years before way before he was the Civil president War. even yeah eighteen the Civil War started in eighteen sixty or sixty one across five yeah. Aprils from sixty to sixty five that's so crazy so. Well, well before um, the Civil War, so interesting. Crazy. Yeah, and the, the way they depicted Jaharis here as the scene is ending, and he just looks miserable about the results. So I think that he really wanted to choose Rainey's. And interestingly, we have the um, the exact opposite occurring with Viserys in this episode as he chooses uh, Rhaenyra and 
sort of fulfilling the worries of Jaehaerys, as we're as we will see, it sends the kingdom into a spiral <laughs> of, of civil war amongst the dragons. So yeah, but it seems like there were some lords and houses that were behind Rhaenys, mm-hmm. but ultimately can't remember how. I think how Stark wanted uh, in the north their their uh, delegation at Harrenhal basically wanted a male heir and a, f- a few others. Um, I think maybe some of the Western houses or the Reach houses maybe supported Rhaenys. Mm. Um, but, you know, go read Fire and Blood. It's good. I just can't remember <laughs> yeah. all those details. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I got to read that too uh, eventually. But yeah, and then at this point, there's like hints of the intro music playing and it cuts into the scene where the dragon shows up. Uh, yeah, so I think that was what, the end of your number four? Number three. Number three. Okay. Then we'll go with my number four, which is Daemon. <laughs> this dude is crazy. <laughs> the title The title of my number four, Daemon the Brute. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Same page again. So we can just, you know, collab on this uh, time for slaughter. This It starts off with him first showing up as uh, after Viserys predicts that he'll return for the... Uh, the tournament, he decides to go out with his with his gold cloaks and slaughter a bunch of alleged criminals. You know, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, yeah, not a, not a whole lot of uh, due process or yeah. <laughs> a trial trial by a jury of your peers. There, you were they were just they pointed at you, rapist. Yeah, and yeah. you're done, murderer. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> brutal, so brutal. They gelded a guy like right out in the open, and. Uh, put his bits and pieces on, on like a stump or something there. Oh yeah. man, that was so brutal. I liked how they, um, when he, he, he like gets his, his, his troops all amped up. When I took command of the watch, you were stray mongrels starving and undisciplined. Now you're a pack of hounds and they all howl into the end <laughs> of the night. Super so epic. Cool. And uh, beginning tonight, King's Landing will learn to fear the color gold. Thought that was Epic. And they, I mean, even into the, into the, you know, the modern, you know, story of, of Game of Thrones and after Robert's Rebellion, the gold cloaks are still around and, um, Tyrion and, uh, who do they, they sneak past those two gold cloaks? Tyrion's with Bronn and, or no, there's somebody, when? Tyrion whacks them in the back of the head in like season seven or, gosh, I can't remember. They sneak up, they, they're in a little boat. Maybe he's oh, with, he's um, with Gendry with the hammer. Worm. Yeah, Gendry has a hammer. Anyway, but those are two gold cloaks just patrolling the coast of uh, of King's Landing, right? And you know they're still the city watch is still around and still trying to uh, foil the plans of our heroes. <laughs> so, and, and I mean, I, I I thought that Damon instituted the city watch, like he started it, um, or he revamped I, it. I, right. It may be that it, it, it loosely existed, you know, as basically just sort of a, a citizen's um, neighborhood watch kind of a thing. But he like he brought it together and he like honed them into a unified body of disciplined fighters. Pretty badass. Let's see. So the next thing I have here is the small council meeting that takes place directly after the slaughtering. 
and it kind of bounces. Uh, it, it cuts to the next scene, and they're all meeting at the the small council chamber. It's interesting as they walk up, they have these stone spheres that they place on little plates with fitted holes, and it's like uh, I was wondering what what that meant. Is do the do the spheres signify that this member is present? Like, what if they could they give their sphere to somebody else to take their place in a meeting and have them place the stone to know that they're being represented? Did you notice that? Yeah, they. It's, I mean, it's some kind of form of okay. I'm here. Attendance you type know, thing. I'm I'm ready to you know start the meeting. Um, yeah, but I think like they kept focusing on it, so you know maybe something with that is going to come into play later. Yeah, good call. But they, you know, I'm not sure. What, what exactly? And, you you know, a few times when the person leaves, they pick up their uh, their little sphere and and leave. The one time one thing I did notice, I don't know if they meant to do this or if it was just in the edit when uh, Hightower calls the meeting after Emma, uh, after her death. And then he I think they show it after they they do the funeral pyre out at Dragonstone. But that right after that, it's like you jump straight into a small council meeting and Viserys is, you know, totally distraught. And he's like, why are we meeting? And, uh, and Hightower's like, well, we need to sell your succession. Right, right. So they, they put they put Viserys's sphere down, but he gets mad and storms out of the room with uh, Sir Harold Westerling. And they don't, they don't show Westerling it. or uh, King Viserys remove his sphere, hmm. which I mean, I don't think that's going to amount to anything. But it's just something I noticed real quick because I was trying to pay attention to who has the spheres. And there's like one little, you know, bowl or whatever for each seat at the small council. And um, so it must be something to where or maybe you have to hold the sphere to attend the meeting. And if, you know, so, yeah, I guess you could pass it off to a proxy if you were going to if Corliss Valerian is going to be out, you know, doing a another epic voyage. Um Across the narrow sea or something, he might could pass his uh, sphere and small council seat, you know, temporarily to another person. He might could. That's a cool phrase. <laughs> so <laughs> they're like, uh, you know, Otto Hightower is all pissed off about about this, but you can tell Viserys is like still backing Damon. Basically, he loves his brother, you know, and. Uh, it, Damon does have like the right idea. It seems that crime is overrunning the city and it needs to be reined in, but he's like obviously going a little bit chaotic with it. <laughs> like the ends don't justify the means necessarily here. No due process or opportunity to defend themselves in court. Like we've seen prior where, uh, you know, people are, uh, they, they have a chance to tell their side of the story in front of like in Daenerys, for example, in Marine holding court. Uh, but like he says, you know, the nobles were coming into the city for the tournament and they'd all be sitting ducks if uh, if crime is really as bad as it seems to be. And this is just more evidence that Viserys is distracted and unfit for rule as uh, is symbolized by his worsening injury from the throne. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, he's, you know, not really concerned all that much about the details, you know, in that first small council meeting. Orlis Valerian is trying to say, oh, there's these pirates on the Stepstones, but then there's this triarchy that has tried to establish itself over the Stepstones and they're right. working on the they're working on the pirates. But, you know, Valerian's is worried about, you know, the threat in the future if they but that triarchy becomes too powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but meanwhile, Viserys is, you know, he opens with a joke 
Um, right. Which I think, and you know, ZB's crackpot po- corner, I think <laughs> that joke, Viserys says something to the tune of, oh, and he was looking up. I told him they were looking up the wrong end. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's the. So I think that's the punchline of Tyrion's <laughs> joke about uh, a honeycomb and a jackass, you know, uh, a going to a, a brothel or whatever. So <laughs> that's my that's my theory. So when are we going to get the rest of the like the, the, the meat yeah, to, to, to lead to the it. meat of the joke? Yeah, we'll have to pay attention for that. A quick note on Damon and the um, City Watch. He instituted their uniform use of equipment, including the golden cloaks from uh, where they get their name. The oh, weapons, nice. uh, The weapons he issued were Dirk, Short Sword, and Cudgel. Ooh. There were 2,000 gold cloaks at the time. I think they mentioned that in this episode. Yeah. Said he commands an army of 2,000 yep. uh, uh, soldiers in the city. Um, and obviously, they seem to be fiercely loyal to... Uh, the Damon. Well, he's buying but, them yeah. whores, you know. So. Yeah, <laughs> he, he buys. Yeah, he uh, buys out the uh, the brothel for the night. So yeah, they definitely use that cudgel, you know, in the precursor to that, you know, the bat, the real punishments. They were just randomly uh, riding through the city and just cracking people's head. You oh, know, it's man. like, oh, if you're out. I mean, they didn't say anything about a curfew, but it seemed like they were just finding random people still walking the street and just cracking them. Only scoundrels are out at night. It's like your mother Crazy. telling you, like, uh, you know, when you're like 16, don't, you know, like only the only bad kids are out at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> nothing good. Nothing good happens after midnight. Yeah. There you go. Except everything good happens after midnight. <laughs> but yeah, Damon is just like a wild man in this scene talking about the, the ladies of the veil in a very disparaging manner, comparing them to sh- like saying sheep are more attractive than them, basically. Yeah. He's yeah. not too fond. He's not too fond of the veil and the errands and, uh, the voices of uh, that that kingdom. Uh, he's not too fond, but uh, one uh, small, you know, detour on on the veil. But Emma, uh, Aaron, oh yeah, I mean, she's, she's an named Aaron. Targaryen. Emma, Aaron is. I think that one of her golden rings had the uh, the little bird. Oh, that is the, 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 sigil, the sigil for House for Aaron. House Aaron yeah. uh, but I couldn't. I was trying to pause it, but I couldn't see it real clearly. But I anyway, bet it is. she's half. To, I mean, her. Her mother was Targaryen, I think Daella, and she was married to uh, an Aaron or a Royce or somebody, hmm. you know, one of the main houses of the Vale. Um, Robar Royce? No, that's not right. Anyway. Robar, um, cool name. So her mother was Targaryen, and uh, she married a, a, a lord from the Vale and had her. So she was half Targaryen by blood, and but her name was Aaron since her father was um, Aaron and... They um, that's why she has the white hair, because normally if if you were only, you know, if you were a normal, you know, like John Aaron and um, their son in Game of Thrones, you know, that, you know, dark hair or whatever colored hair. But she Emma Aaron, I was like, well, she was she married. Obviously, there's a lot of family uh, marrying uh, relationships. Yeah, a lot of intermarriage. House House Targaryen. But anyway, so she was. And Aaron, you know, half Targaryen, half Aaron. So she had the white Targaryen hair. Speaking of the white Targaryen hair, we have the Valerians whose appearances have been significantly changed from the books. But um, with the the white hair uh, contrasting with the black skin, it's pretty badass looking. It's like striking. You know what I mean? Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, so Damon ends up basically just storming out of this meeting without permission or anything he's just he just gets up and walks out and i was like damn dude he's got balls the size of 
cantaloupes. You know, <laughs> freaking yeah, crazy. That that don't care attitude. You know, prince of the city. I'll do whatever I want. Yeah, and you can tell that Viserys loves his brother as he understands his in- intent, despite his flaws. Just defending him somewhat, and you know, saying that it might be a good thing in the end that he revamped the city watch, even though he's basically got an army of his own at this point. Exactly. But then we move on to uh, Damon with Missaria <laughs> at at the brothel. It seems like he's having a little bit. It seems like Damon might be the, the floppy, floppy dragon, you know? <laughs> floppy as, fish. As he's a floppy, floppy dragon. Fish. Uh, he's distracted. Uh, he's worried about this birth that's coming up and losing yep. his line in succession, as, uh, mm-hmm. as she points out by saying that, you know, the king can't replace you. You're Damon Targaryen, the rider of Caraxes, wielder of Dark Sister. So uh, it seems like he's worried or mad that he might be overtaken in the line of succession. Yeah, definitely focused on other things. Yeah, and we 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 talked about the uh, the tourney with Damon, and so yeah, that pretty much rounds off my number four. Oh, sorry, one thing, real quick, one thing. uh, Yeah, Damon, it's hinted at, you know, because the uh, Missaria says that. I could arrange a, a maiden with silver hair for you. It's hinted that he has a thing for Rhaenyra. And so I'm wondering, like, is it really like, does he really have a thing for her? Is it like, a, is he looking at it like a power play? Like, um, you know, if, well, actually, no, he's in, he's the heir currently. So Rhaenyra was not in the line of succession necessarily. Um, but yeah, I was thinking maybe like, you know, if he angled towards her, it would solidify his position as heir apparent, basically. Stay tuned for next week's episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What's your number four? Uh, yeah. Damon the Brute. Uh, just oh, right, meet right. him and we meet him. He's sitting on the Iron Throne. Um, oh, yeah. He's blurred. He's blurred at the very beginning. Um, and, you know, Sir Harold Westerling is... You know, he, I'm sure, is ready to intervene and like, no, you're, you're not, you're the prince of the city, maybe prince of Dragonstone, but you're not the king. You can't sit the Iron Throne. Um, you're not hand. It reminded me of the, uh, the images from the original season one Game of Thrones promo art where it had Ned Stark sitting in the chair or no, that I'm, I'm thinking later on. That's what we get at the end with Viserys, but it, um, you know, but Rhaenyra waves off Westerling is like, it's okay. You know, I'm the princess, so I deem this acceptable, you know. Yeah. So, but then it's very dark and we, the first time we're seeing the throne room with so all epic. the extra swords. I mean, they keep the throne room, the uh, the throne that they had in the original show, you know, kind of spice it up a little bit. But all those extra swords down so the side cool. Love it. to make it more book-like is still not as epic and tall. Mm-hmm. But one as uh, they're talking in High Valyrian and as Rhaenyra gets closer, there's a side shot. Um, of her at the bottom and kind of up the steps and you see all the swords and then uh, Damon is sitting on the Iron Throne and it looks a lot more like the book version and um, the Definitely. picture, the, the artist renditions uh, that are out there. Go search the, yeah, the internet Mark for uh, book. Yeah, he has a good one. I've seen a few, uh, but just if you want to see, you know, just Google book, um, A Song of Ice and Fire, Iron Throne you know, book version or art and, and, but there's some cool, but it looks a lot more because it goes up because there's stairs and mm-hmm. there's all the swords. It looks from the side a lot like, you know, a lot more the like depiction. the book depiction and how Grimm describes it as this 
huge Ruined. staircase of uh, of melted swords from Aegon's conquest. So we meet him there on the Iron Throne, and you know immediately that he doesn't care about you know the exact proper uh, you know customs and courtesies and uh, yeah, to yeah, where yeah. he wouldn't dare approach the Iron Throne and. He's sitting in the Iron Throne, Jamie Lannister style. So he <laughs> definitely, you know, is extremely confident, um, maybe overconfident. And then we see that side of him um, continuing with the brutality in the City Watch. And then, you know, we see him be more compassionate and heartfelt with Rhaenyra at the fu- at the funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, and giving her the, the necklace. Crema- the cremation. I mean, anyway, uh, yeah, he gives her that necklace. So they obviously have a relationship and care about each other. Um but then, you know, he and then he's hiding. So when he's not in that small council meeting, when Hightower is trying to get Viserys to settle the succession. Um, but he's he's like in the little remember all the little secret passageways that are in the Red Keep. Yeah. Meg or um, the Varys had it yeah, built that, and then killed everybody that built it. So they couldn't really reveal the so secrets. Crazy. Somehow Varys managed to like find but, the blocks to push, yeah. to open up the passages and like figured it how, out somehow. You know, how Varys and his little birds, you know, used to spy on the Red Keep. So that's sort of how I imagined uh, Damon was kind of behind some kind of oh, you know, yeah, false wall or something. Listening listening. And I mean, it has like a, you know, little holes in the, in whatever that, you know, lattice work or whatever that was. Yeah, that, that was he was cool. behind. But I sort of kind of, you know, went off in my own little, in my own mind to like, oh, he's probably in one of the secret passageways <laughs> that uh, Varys uh, used in the original series. Yeah, because so they still is, know about them at this point. Right. And I mean, they don't, nobody knows them all, but, you know, Magor knew about them, mm-hmm. uh, I would presume, since he had them built. And then, uh, so he probably passed down that knowledge to a select few. Yeah, probably a lot of the Targs know, but, uh, you know, nobody else. Um Awesome. So my number five is pretty short. It's just Valyrian steel. Dark nice. sister looks so freaking cool when he when Daemon pulls it out during the uh, the battle, or you know when they're cutting up all the criminals and stuff. And then again at the tourney, we get to see Blackfire, the sort of Aegon the Conqueror, as uh, Viserys is sitting on a throne later, which we'll talk about in a bit. And uh, we get to see the cat's pod dagger, as we mentioned already. And it was just really cool seeing all the Valyrian steel, uh, things we haven't seen before. He keeps touching the the cat's paw dagger and like looking down at it. I think we're going to find out something more about that dagger that's going to make it interesting. Um, there's got to be some neat history behind it. In like the, the book of the, the World of Ice and Fire and everything, there isn't really any information about it. It's sort of like unknown. There's a diagram, but no details about its origins or history. So that'll, I'm, I'm kind of excited to learn about that because it plays kind of an important role later on in Game of Thrones. What's your number five? My number five is just welcome back to Westeros. Um, just so many things I haven't thought about since Game of Thrones ended. Well, I guess uh, I can't remember when Fire and Blood came out. It seems like it came out between season seven and eight, maybe. But I mean, just septons and septas, seven gods, seven yeah. hells. Um, when they kept you know, a few times, a few times in the, you know, gods be good. Uh, yeah. like, oh, I forgot, you know, just those little phrases, um, maesters and arch maesters, grand maester, uh, Melos, um, just, you know, just the culture, the weirwood tree. Right. Um, yeah. That one I forgot. Uh, in the, uh, in the, what do they call the, the, 
the godswood godswood yeah. yeah the heart tree um the heart tree um so really cool to see all that stuff um that you know we just we've been away from uh in the universe you know, for a long time we got to see um the the head of house stark i think it's rickon maybe i can't yep. remember uh we get to see him um we didn't see any Lannisters, so uh, that's a good thing, in my opinion. Down with House, <laughs> down with House Lannister. No, uh, besides Tyrion, uh, but it was it was just cool. Lan, cool to see dragon. The original Lannister, Lan, he was cool. Yeah. He snuck in through Casterly Rock and pretended to be a ghost, Ooh, and scared mm-hmm. everybody out, and then just stole took, it. <laughs> stole stole Casterly Rock right out from under them. Slick. But um, we saw a little bit of Dragonstone, you know, kind of off in the distance at that, you know, funeral cremation yeah, and, uh, uh, ceremony. Viserys was working on a model that looked like Dragonstone, yeah, but that like was much crazy. bigger. Maybe it was like ancient Valyria. That's what I heard somewhere. Some people yeah, I think were. Alt-Shift were uh, X was talking about that, right? That's I think that's where it was, was thinking that was possibly a, a model of uh, old Valyria. So cool. So that would mean that they came over, landed at Dragonstone and they built Dragonstone as an homage to Valyrian style architecture. And it does look right, quite that, different than that re- same kind of architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Anything else for number five? That's it. All right. I have number six, seven, Eight. <laughs> nice. And uh, on and on. Yeah. My number six, which is why we're going reverse this episode instead of five down to one, cool. is the Game of Thrones. And there's a lot of it in this episode. And uh, I, I see the Game of Thrones, obviously, as a metaphor for ambition and its dangers, the risks and rewards that come with the, the, the fight for winning the throne. So we talked about the first instance with uh, the decision Jaharis had to make. So next imp- moment where there may be some foreshadowing and things coming into play here is when it cuts to the scene in the, the godswood at the Red Keep, which I don't think we've seen before. It felt like a new set where Rainey's is sitting with, with young Alicent Hightower and they're studying their, their book for the Septa and, uh, uh, Rainey's is all disagreeable because she's nervous and and uh, Alicent says to her uh, like you aren't worried about your position because she's like no I'm worried about worried for my father I hope that he gets a son and and Alicent is taken back by that because if if Viserys has a boy then that would take um, Rain- Rhaenyra right out of the line of succession effectively and so the fact that Alicent was thinking about her position in the line of succession, but Rhaenyra wasn't, indicates to me that Alicent has ambitions of her own. And Yeah, 100%. You know, and that she's, she's thinking in terms of the game of Thrones, whereas Rhaenyra is just, you know, doing her own thing, kind of. So, yeah, uh, sort of like Arya. She'd, uh, Arya would rather... Uh, you know, sword play and yeah, you know, be a be a knight and uh, ride horses and go into battle than to to be a Stark of Winterfell and be responsible and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, I've got Otto, a whole Otto section H- about that coming up. Oh, nice, nice. Oh. Otto Hightower also playing the Game of Thrones. Yep, yeah, I got that coming up here too. Uh, so the next scene that we get a, a taste of this is the the scene as Viserys is having his wound tended to by the maester and his assistant. And we learn that it's a small cut from sitting on the throne. And uh, the, the message here is that the, the throne is sharp and dangerous and you're not supposed to be comfortable sitting on it. 
You have to be on point, which is a metaphor for the way that you must rule attentively with caution. Magor the Cruel, who built the the, uh, Magor's Holdfast in the Red Keep with all the passages, as we just mentioned, and killed everybody to protect its secrets, was found dead on the throne, sliced by- Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Sliced by its barbs, potentially, although it's likely he was murdered for his his Mm. cruelty- the story's yep. kind of stuck that he was killed by the throne and the, in, the inherent danger of the throne itself serves as a metaphor for the danger of kingship. And Yep, the most dangerous seed in Westeros. Yeah, yeah. And this reminds me of the Sword of Damocles. Have you ever heard of, of that before? Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, that may have been uh, Alt-Shift-X may have talked about that too, but uh, nice. I, I heard or read about that somewhere. Somebody was uh, mentioning that. Nice. Yeah, I, I got an excerpt from Wikipedia here, and it's, uh, it says, according to the story, Damocles was pandering. This is like ancient Greek stuff. Damocles was pandering to his king, Dionysius, claiming that Dionysius was truly fortunate as a great man of power and authority without peer, surrounded by magnificence. In response, Dionysius offered to switch places with Damocles for one day so that Damocles could taste the very fortune, that very fortune firsthand. Damocles quickly and eagerly accepted the king's proposal, and he sat on the the king's throne, surrounded by countless luxuries. There were beautifully embroidered rugs, fragrant perfumes, the most selective foods, piles of silver and gold, and the service of attendants unparalleled in their beauty, surrounding Damocles with riches and excess. But Dionysius, who had made many enemies during his reign, arranged that a sword should hang above the throne, held at the pommel by only a single hair of a horse's tail to evoke the sense of what it's like to be king, though having much fortune, fortune, always having to watch in fear and anxiety against dangers that might try to overtake you. Damocles finally begged the king that he be allowed to depart because he no longer wanted to be so fortunate, realizing that with great power comes great responsibility, or as the the notorious B.I.G. said, Mo money, mo problems. Uh, <laughs> King Dionysius effectively conveyed the sense of constant fear in which a person with great power may live. Uh, Dionysius committed many cruelties in his rise to power such that he could never go on to rule justly because that would make him vulnerable to his enemies. Cicero used this story as, as the last in a series of contrasting examples for reaching the conclusion in his fifth disputation in which the theme is that having virtue is sufficient for living a happy life. Like, you don't need money, you don't need power, just be virtuous, be good, and uh, you'll be whole. You know, money can't make you whole, power can't make you whole. And Circe certainly learned that, you know, she she lost everything in her her quest to become queen and (laughs) died miserable. (laughs) Yeah, pretty hardcore. And so then we have that that small council meeting regarding succession. And uh, Corliss basically is talking about how the precedent's already set. Uh, And it's his wife, uh, Rainey's, that was spurned by Jaehaerys. So I think he's being a bit sarcastic about this because he seems a bit salty still. And uh, Otto realizes he fucked up by giving (laughs) Damon control over the army. And this is all just chaos. There's so many unintended consequences. You know, Otto is trying to remove Damon from the line of succession because he's, he's got his own ambitions 
and in the process, he just made Damon even more powerful. And uh, somebody says, just moments ago to Corliss, you announced your support for Damon. And he starts to talk, but he, the king interjects. And I think he was going to say, like, I did not announce my support. I was just clarifying that the precedent has been set. Right. Uh, although he can't know that for sure. And Viserys is furious about this and says, I will not sit here and suffer crows that come to feast on their corpses. Uh, talking about the, you know, his wife and son who had just died. And this was a reference to the fourth book of the A Song of Ice and Fire series, A Feast for Crows, <laughs> which I thought was a nice little way of bringing that metaphor back into the story. And uh, like you mentioned before, Otto Hightower is playing the game big time. He's kind of like a mix of Tywin and Lady Olenna, the Queen of Thorns. He's a hand like Tywin, and he's clearly, you know, offering his daughter to the king like Tywin, but he seems to be like doing it slightly sneakily, which is Olenna style, you know, sending mm-hmm. her to his chambers in the middle of the night. It reminded me of the stories Olenna was telling Marjorie about how, oh, I, you know, I just went to the wrong room by accident, you know, <laughs> you know, it's supplanting <laughs> herself in front of her sister. And the way she was training Marjorie to to get the job done, like regardless of the cost and everything, it was interesting to see uh, a new person scheming in this in this matter. Yeah, uh, definitely. He wants to he wants to keep uh, Viserys's injury, you know, keep it quiet. He tells the maester, keep it oh, quiet. Yeah, he sends he sends his daughter in there to provide comfort. Yeah, uh, to King Viserys. And when he tells and, her uh, that, there's like a flash of excitement that comes across her face just very briefly. And then she controls it again. And so like referencing her conversation with uh, Rhaenyra earlier, it, it, it like it's telling us that definitely Alicent has ambitions and will capitalize on this situation. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so then... Alicent follows through and she goes to Viserys's chambers and she's consoling him and she's brought him a, a history book because he's a history buff. And uh, she relates to him instead of saying the things that people normally say. And, you know, she describes how all she wanted when her mother died was just for somebody to say that they're sorry for what happened. So that's just what she does. And they seem to connect a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, they, um, you know, that's a very, you know, a very kind gesture of her. You know, she's sent there by her father, but, you know, she seems like she's genuinely trying to, you know, you know, provide what little comfort she can. And, you know, he's the king of, you know, the seven kingdoms. So, you know, she's just, you know, the daughter of the hand. Um, but, of course, you know, there's there's more at play than you know, just her in the moment, you know, going to him. But, you know, she's trying to, you know, I think make a, a genuine, you know, connection and try to, you know, comfort the king and get his mind off of everything that's going on and um, try to put his mind at ease a little bit, if nothing else. Yeah, and in the context of the greater game, this is like the moment I feel like where she's stepped off the bench and she's entering the play, you know, and <laughs> it's going to be crazy to see what happens. This could have yeah, some... Yeah, that's true because, I mean, she's been Rhaenyra's friend, and, you know, that's, you know, a great place to be, friend of the, uh, close friend and confidant of the princess. But, um, you know, you're still basically, you know, I agree, on the sidelines at that point. But then um, when you, you know, get uh, thrust, you know, into the game by your father, the hand of the king, uh, yeah, you're definitely on the, uh, 
on the battlefield or playing field, maybe uh, both. Yeah, it's time to get off the bench, stretch and get in the game. Take to the trenches, tactical offensive. We stay in relentless. These lames are defenseless. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, if, if this play works, there could be dramatic consequences. It would open up the possibility for a new heir, theoretically, if, if you know, because he's in the market now, potentially, for a new, a new queen. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm... Right, Vis- Viserys is probably, you know, what, in his 40s, maybe his 50s, but... You know, yeah, it, I mean, not that old and women you know. run out of eggs, you know, they get the empty <laughs> egg carton after a while, but you know, Walder Frey kept pumping them out into, into like, yeah, Walder Frey, yeah, into like God, hundreds. Yeah, I forgot how many ki- in the books, it may be even more than <laughs> yeah. they talk about in the show. Yeah, Walder he's Frey, like, yeah, just has sons and sons and sons and daughters and daughters, just, yeah. He's the Genghis Khan the of Westeros, you know, I think that <laughs> his. DNA is everywhere. Yeah, I think Genghis Khan's ancestors make up like 1% of all Asians or something like that, which is... some Yeah, some crazy you know, stuff. Uh, what do they say? Uh, like uh, life goals. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, up to this point, I've been watching and I'm watching the like the dynamics between Rhaenyra and, um, and Damon as they're both kind of like potential heirs but at this point it's like a third whole option is i th- I, th- I was assuming until now that it was going to be rhaenyra and damon like facing off in the dance for for the uh, the throne but this could open up whole new possibilities so kind of exciting to see what's going to happen at this point uh, so next we move to damon celebrating the death of his nephew with the hookers and his boys <laughs> Ooh, hardcore yeah, pretty um, crass statement where he refers to poor Balon as the heir for a day. And instead of mourning the death, he seems to be celebrating his own ascension again, uh, securing his position in the, uh, in the line of succession. So that's pretty yeah, hardcore. Definitely. Allegedly, he, you know, Otto Hightower says he corroborated it with three witnesses. And then Viserys questions Damon. And he never, he doesn't say he didn't do it, but he says, did you say it? And then Damon said, um, we all, we all, you know, grieve in our own way or something to that effect. Pretty much confirms it. Yeah, I guess so. I I thought he he sort of left it ambiguous, um, but he definitely didn't say no. And if you didn't say it, you know, you would say no. So I guess it sort of is a passive confirmation, but some people are like, oh, it's ambiguous. He didn't really say it. But I mean, it does, it does seem like something Damon would probably say, so. And uh, so then in that scene, scene when uh, Damon shows up to the throne room, we get Viserys sitting at the throne holding black fire, which is so cool Epic. to see. Wicked exciting. And man, the shape of that blade, it's like tapered down to a, a point. That is a cool yeah, looking it, sword. It doesn't have a normal sword that's, I mean, either straight or has a very slow taper. And then at the end comes to a point. It, I mean, I was trying to look at it closely. I want like a slow motion. Same as when Damon drew um, Dark Sister when he was out there uh, mugging, mugging people uh, <laughs> in King's Landing. Uh, I wanted like a slow motion, you know, John Woo style. Oh, like John so Woo. we could see doves all the details. <laughs> exactly. Doves fly as he draws the sword um, and see, fly. you know, those that Valyrian steel, you know, the rippling uh, yeah. effect, you know, sort of like Damascus steel looks like. 
I saw a still frame, uh, or maybe when I was rewatching it, I could see, I did see the Damascus. And uh, to go with your, uh, to to expound upon the shapes of swords, if you look at ice back here, it's unusual as it's such a wide sword and it stays wide all the way down until the very end when it just tapers within about, you know, an inch, two, like three inches of the, of the end. It's, it's right. an unusually wide sword for the whole way. Blackfire has a narrow, straight taper, like a what is it, an isosceles triangle. Right, <laughs> it yeah, it's so just one long triangle. Really cool, really cool design. Yeah, really cool. So interestingly, I think it was Johnny Store uh, who brought this up to me when uh, when he enters the the room. He's sitting there when Damon enters. He's, Viserys is sitting there with his sword out. And you may remember the encounter when Tyrion showed up from the wall to uh, deliver to Bran the plans for a saddle so that he could ride even though he was crippled. Right. When he came in to greet Rob Stark, who was ro- ruling Winterfell at this point, uh, in Ned's stead, he, Rob Stark had his blade out. And it, he, he made it clear that, uh, you know, Tyrion made it clear that when if if the lord of the castle has his blade out, it's a signal that you're not welcome there. So this is like an, a well understood custom among the Westerosi highborn, and for uh, Viserys to have his blade out like that when Damon arrives, that signals a shift in their relationship right off the bat. So even before he tells him like that, you're you're cut off, you know, and kicks him out. We know that this is not going to go smoothly for Damon. Just because yeah, Damon tries to, uh, you know, just play, you know, uh, be very informal. And then, you know, Viserys goes straight into, you will call me your grace or not, or else. Um, well, have and him, it's, have the Kingsguard take your tongue out. That's right. So, you know, he right there, Viserys, you know, further um, shows Damon how serious he is in the matter. Um, you know, that the threat oh. of naked, the threat of naked steel. Yeah. Um, in the room right there in front of you yeah is clearly showing you that you're on very thin ice 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 yeah and oh my god dude dame uh viserys is like he put up with a lot of stuff from damon but it seems like this crossed the line crossed the line and he's really hurt in his heart by this you know he said uh, my family has just been destroyed and he freaks out. But instead of being by my side or Rhaenyra's, you choose to celebrate your own rise laughing with your whores and lick spittles. <laughs> yeah, epic. Man, Patty Constantine just brings it. Man. And as I think something even George said is that on the page, you know, he just wrote Viserys as sort of a, not filler, but I mean, just another name, you know, in the line of succession of Targaryen kings and didn't really you know, pour that much depth into Viserys. Uh, but he's really pleasantly surprised with, you know, I mean, he obviously has to have a lot to do, especially at the beginning right here um, with his family and Rhaenyra and Damon. Mm-hmm. But how, just how much life and depth uh, Patty Constantine is bringing uh, to Man. Viserys, you know, bringing him to yeah, life on the good. screen is really cool. Really cool. So that was brutal. And, uh, you know, he's like, why do you cut me so deeply? And he's like, I've only ever spoken the truth. And uh, I see Otto Hightower for what he is. And these two are just at it with each other. Otto mm-hmm. and Damon, they have a terrible relationship. And and now 
it's Viserys who is defending Otto to Damon as opposed to vice versa as before. So he says, what, an unwavering and loyal hand? And Damon pulls a, 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 a Sandor Clegane. He, Clegane, yep. He calls him a cunt, you know, <laughs> evoking the hound. And it reminded me earlier, uh, too, just now thinking of this, when Rhaenyra and Alicent were in the Godswood, and Rhaenyra tears out the page, and mm. Alicent's like, oh my God, what is the Septa going to think? And she's like, fuck the Septa. And that reminded me Don't of care. the Hound also to fuck the king. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> Drink yeah, my they, wine. Those, the same kind of, you know, people, Tyrion may say that at some point to Joffrey or, or something like that, but people yeah, get true. to a certain point uh, with their attitude, you know, towards royalty or towards you know, the Hand, you know, the next, I mean, the Hand has incredible power. Um Second, you know, only to the king. So, yeah. I mean, even speaking, I mean, and that's not as treasonous as saying, you know, the queen who never was, or you know, what yeah, Sandor says brutal. at the what Sandor says at the the end of the Battle of Blackwater is like, nope, I'm done with this, I'm gone. And you know, then he finally expresses his true freedom of speech <laughs> and right. leaves King's Landing. So, yeah, and, uh, and now it, just like that, Damon is is. Finally saying his his uh, freedom of speech, too. He says, you're weak, Viserys. And the Council of Leeches Ooh. knows it. They all prey on you for their own ends. And it's true. Brutal. It's true. Brutal. Like, Viserys yep. is, you know, caught up with his own stuff. King's Landing is going crazy with crime. Uh, like, he's a weak leader. And like I mentioned before, it's symbolized by his, his uh, festering wound caused from the chair, from the throne. Yeah, pretty yeah. epic. Um, are you about to jump into... Um when Damon starts to take that little half step forward. Oh yeah. You want to talk about it? Go for it. So he, he does that. And obviously the King's guard immediately, I think there's four of the seven Kings guard are standing right there. They immediately, you know, half draw their blades, you know, take a step towards Damon to block him. And then when the camera goes back to King Viserys, his grip, I don't know if you noticed this, no, it only show up for half a second. His grip on the sword changed. So Viserys, so if this is the sword and he was sitting there, he was just, you know, Viserys was, uh, sitting there, kind of with his, his grip, just a normal grip sitting there. The, but after that, uh, Viserys' oh, grip had changed no. to like that, to no where if you, you know, like that, um, to I, where if you would, uh, if something it were to continue to escalate, Viserys would be ready just to stand up and start going to work. So yeah, go back and me, look for that. I will. That's I totally missed that. And it reminds me of the scene with Sir Barristan the Bold, you know, where he's yep. like, even now I could cut through the five of you like butter. And, and that's a similar type of, uh, of scene before he like spit on the <laughs> on the throne and left. Yeah, I think he landing. took off his armor and took off his yeah, oh, yeah. cloak. Boom. Um, Falls off. And just, drop, and just, you know, drop the mic and uh, walked out of the throne room. That's so cool. I only remember that like right at this instant. Yeah, I was trying to think of Barristan Selmy's name yesterday. I was thinking about, you know, that scene and other Lord Commanders of the King's Guard that we've seen. I was like, who is that guy? He went to Marine and he served Danny. And then those, you know, dang Sons of the Harpy, you know, ganged up on him and took him out in the end. But uh, it took me a while to remember Barristan Selmy. Yeah. Yeah. Great name, too. And so right at this point, Damon kind of leaves and Viserys sits back in the throne and immediately cuts himself. He pricks himself on his left mm -hmm. hand. And uh, this is symbolizing the danger his rash decision has just put him in and how he cannot possibly remain on top of this throne for much longer uh, after this. That's my, my take on that. Uh, so yeah, very, very dangerous seat. 
Definitely. So then it mo- we're moving on to back to the scene with Balerion, the Black Dread skull, and as they uh, as they're talking and getting the history of everything, Viserys is telling uh, Rhaenyra he's he's apologizing to her and telling her that like based about uh, Aegon's prophecy that of the long winter that would that would come. And he's saying that when this happens, a Targaryen has to be sitting on the throne and like a Targaryen must be king or queen. And she's like, what? And so he apologizes mm. to her for wasting the years since she was born, wanting a son, but uh, now telling her that he believes in her and that he thinks that she could be a great ruling queen. And as this begins, we're, we're getting the intercuts to the scene of the ceremony where the announcement becomes official and we get all these different lords of Westeros uh, pledging their fealty to Viserys and to his chosen heir, Rhaenyra. We get Corlys, Lord of the Tides, Master of Driftmark. And the Valerians are pretty badass. They have like their own fleet that's basically the size of King's Landing's fleet. They're the masters of, uh, of the ocean, effectively, other than the Ironborn. Yeah, they run the Narrow Sea. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, in the in the books, the red wine, you know, in the Game of Thrones story, you know, another 172 years in the future, the red wines down in the re- in the um, they're right there by Old Town. I don't know if that's considered the Reach or Dorne. I mean, it's in the far south. But I think Dorne sort of stops, mm. you know, and there's a little bit of the Reach that kind of goes down to the coast. Anyway, the red wines are like they're the ones with the big fleet at that point, you know, in Westerosi history, and they're trying to deal with the the Pike, not the Pikes. The uh, the Ironborn, you know, off the west coast Bastards. of Westeros, and then at the same time, kind of police the Stepstones and make sure that there's you know trade routes that are open uh, through the around the Narrow Sea, around Dorne, um, the Broken Arm of Dorne, and up to King's Landing, and further up to um, that northern town that sits on um, the Narrow Sea, um, where the their sigil is like a Merlin. I'm trying to think of their name. Anyway, um, I'll look it up. But they, but now and b- back in this part of history, the Valerians are far and above the the most prestigious naval um, house uh, with the fleets. Yeah, Corlys is the richest dude in Westeros at this point, whereas Tywin is later. Yeah, he's made these his epic voyages and has has enriched himself greatly. Uh, so. Viserys is telling Rhaenyra, like, this is this is not a trivial gesture. The dragon's saddle is one thing, but the Iron Throne is the most dangerous seat in the realm. And we get uh, Lord Hobart Hightower. Yeah, I guess that's Otto's older brother. Lord oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we get Bormund Baratheon, which is pretty cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rickon Stark, Lord of Winterfell. <laughs> And, oh man, it's just wild. And uh, I imagine that as all of this is happening, Princess Rainey's. I'm wondering how she feels. Is she happy for for Rhaenyra? Is she mad that it that this is showing that it could be done, but it didn't happen to her? What do you think? How do you think she's feeling about this? You know, I think Rainey's is is probably excited. You know, for Rhaenyra. I mean, maybe with a little bit of you know regret or wishing that. You know, uh, Jaehaerys had come to this same conclusion that Viserys did instead of, you know, letting the lords of the Seven Kingdoms decide at the Great Council. But 
ultimately it's, you know, she's witnessing, you know, potentially um, a breaking of the, at least the male wheel, you know, yeah. of the, you know, the patriarchy, you know, which of reminds me that picture you sent me of the, the, the necklace that they put on her with uh-huh. all of the different I did post that on sigils. the Game of Thrones, Game that. Microphones uh, Facebook page, by the way. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. It, it has all these different house sigils of like the main houses and kind of patches all the way around it. And it surrounds cool. her neck. And it, it reminded me of the way that Daenerys described the wheel with each house being a spoke. And it's like she's got the yeah, wheel it's like round. around wow. her. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think about it, you know, symbolizing the wheel. Yeah. Uh, a White Harbor was that city I was trying to think of. Oh, and House, right. M- House Manderley. Manderley. Um, yeah, they play a big men, role in the uh, books. Really cool. Yeah, Wyman role. Manderley is this yeah. huge uh, obese guy. Yeah. Yeah, their their sigil is like a, a mermaid, a merman, merman, merman. in green <laughs> on like a turquoise field, and he has a trident. So he's basically Aquaman with a tail. <laughs> Sick. So that's basically, that's basically um, the House Manderley sigil. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, tragically, Viserys here is making this de- making this decision proves the fears of Jaehaerys the first valid. Jaehaerys spurned his his daughter to keep the realm whole at great personal cost, in my opinion. And in this case, Viserys names his daughter heir, uh, which sets the realm ablaze effectively and uh, leads to the war that <laughs> that, that Jaehaerys tried to avoid. Some things yep. are just inevitable. He, he just, yeah, he just delayed it one generation. Instead of it happening about his succession, it right. happens about Viserys, you know, succession. So it's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. And it shows you like um, good rulers have to be selfless. And Jaehaerys was a good ruler, according to pretty much everybody in Westeros. And uh, he, he, he took himself out of the equation and thought about what the realm would need. And he named Viserys to be his heir, whereas this is a personal, personally driven decision, I feel like, by uh, Viserys here. I mean, Damon is a nutcase, so it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, he knows it's going to result in chaos and he does it anyway. So uh, next, let's talk about the Rainey's Arya comparisons. Nice. On the way to the to the Red Keep to see Queen Emma. Uh, we enter the Red Keep and pass through what eventually becomes the map room under Cersei, but no map is painted there yet. That's pretty cool. And so whereas, you know, in Cersei's time in the Keep, this whole area is isolated and empty and nobody's there. Now, in contrast, the room is bustling and full of people. Uh, it's crazy to see the difference between these two things. And uh, so Emma is excited to see Rhaenyra, but she doesn't like her to be flying. And she smells the dragon on her. Mm-hmm. A couple times, two people smell the dragons. So the dragons must reek, to, you know, to use a Game of Thrones word, reek. And <laughs> yeah, it's her two parents, Targaryens, uh, that notice. Oh, yeah, that that's scent. true. That's- when she comes into the small council meeting, her dad, Viserys, is like, well, dragon back. Probably both dragon riders. I'm just yep. imagining what the dragon would smell like. And I had a I had a few lizards growing up, you know, and they have a very distinctive smell and that I remember quite clearly. And so I'm, I'm just imagining a lizard that's like a million times bigger. <laughs> you can smell it from a mile away. Right. Yeah. Definitely would have a smell. I mean, if you, you know, if you smell like a horse after riding horseback, you know, dragons would be even more so probably. Yeah. So uh, Emma says, you know, I don't like you flying while I'm in this condition, implying she's in that condition frequently, which we find out is true later. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
she she tells like you tells her like you mentioned that uh, you'll lie in this bed soon. This, this discomfort is how we serve the realm. In a, and in a very Arya like moment, Rhaenyra says, "I'd rather serve as a knight and ride to battle and glory." It's remindful of Arya telling Ned, "You know that's not me." When he tells her that she'll grow up to wed a lord and <laughs> and and everything like that. Yeah, he's tr- Ned was trying to get her to be uh, prim and proper, and she'd much rather have sword lessons with Cereal Pharrell. So, it, yeah, definitely a lot of parallels between Arya and Rhaenyra. Yep, and then at the small council meeting, Rhaenyra shows up, and she's serving as the cup bearer, filling all the cups on, at the tables, uh, you know, like uh, Corliss oh, covers yeah. up his glass. It just hit me. Like uh, my mom covers up her glass when when she's hanging out with my uncle because he's always filling up the wine, the wine nice. constantly. Yeah, it just bottomless. You. Reminds you of the ghost of Wint of uh, of Harrenhal. Remember Arya yep. when she's hanging out with Hot Pie at, after they first meet, and uh, she's a prisoner at 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 uh, Harrenhal. She's the cupbearer. She ends up being, and she's kind of like hiding her face from Lord Tywin in case he might recognize her from Winterfell. Yep. So Arya, Arya and Rhaenyra as the cup bearer, uh, which is kind of cool. And she uses that. I know. I think, you know, obviously Rhaenyra is listening to these conversations uh, in the small council, whether it's about the pirates and triarchy and the stepstones. Right, just like Arya or, is listening in. Yeah, whatever's going on with Daemon in the City Watch. And Arya is listening to what Tywin and his generals are uh, talking about and discussing battle strategies against her brother, Rob. Uh, at the time, so they're they're parlaying their uh, connection and insider position into you know cleaning information that they might can pass on to somebody you know on their side. So pretty cool, very sweet, pretty smart. And so uh, then we're moving on to Alicent and Rhaenyra in the Godswood, and we get a mention of Princess Nymeria, which is uh, which evokes in my mind Arya's direwolf Nymeria. Yep. And uh, so that was pretty cool. Little double entendre. And and uh, Rhaenyra ends up like reciting a whole uh, thing about about Nymeria, which is another Arya parallel because they're both obsessed with these female fighters, whether it's Vis- Visenya, the, the conqueror's sister wife, or whether it's Nymeria who led her Rhoynar across the narrow sea on 10,000 ships to flee the Valyrian pursuers. And then burned them all to let them know that they're not running anymore. And interestingly, uh, I noticed also Rhaenyra uh, seems to be like more like Arya and cares much less about uh, ruling and the game than than Alicent does. But this is a trait that could actually make her a good leader. Um, like good leaders aren't looking for power, but they they want what's right and what's just. And when they're put in power, they will act appropriately for the for the good of their nation or realm. And it kind of reminded me of George Washington. Exactly, who, the reluctant leader. Yeah, who had no desire to be president, but was effectively drafted by the entire Continental Congress uh, and who all unanimously named him to be president. And he never even like suggested it for himself. So that was cool. <laughs> and Yeah, and so um, that pretty much wraps up the Arya-Rhaenyra similarities. But it brings us to Game of Thrones similarities. Uh, we get small council meetings, which are remindful of Game of Thrones. We get the both Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon starting off with a tourney, which is kind of cool. Uh, and that pretty much wraps up all my notes, actually. You got anything else you want to talk about? 
Awesome. Uh, just um, I noticed, you know, two things as far as uh, Viserys. Is he possibly like Danny? You know, the unburnt. He um, when they're right. analyzing the 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 second one is obvious, but the first one I didn't catch it until uh, I rewatched it when they're looking at his wound, uh, and then the young maester says perhaps culturization, and then the oh. grand uh, the grand maester, you know, just he like parrots. The young guy is like, oh, yes, King Viserys, cauterization would be an excellent uh, course of action. <laughs> and then Viserys doesn't even ponder it or consider it. He's, He's just like, like yeah. okay, fine. So okay, casual fine. about it. Yeah. So, I, I mean. Right. That's a great. But I just thought about this. Would cauterization even work on an unburnt? Huh. <laughs> so, I mean, you could be like cut. Superman, right? Like, right. You know, like Superman Danny, can't be burned. You know, he can be stabbed and cut, but could you heal the unburnt's wound? With cauterization. Yeah, if you're just unburnt, a, implying uh, you can't be burned, then will cauterization even cauterize? Or, well, is he, right. is he now Viserys, the uncauterized? <laughs> so, that's an interesting thought experiment as far as that goes. And then at the end, before Rhaenyra gets down uh, to, you know, I'll just call them the crypts or the um, the basement uh, of the Red Keep, um, He's just has those candles and he's just kind of slowly moving his hand over the candles and i mean some people just have a high pain tolerance and they could do that for a little while yeah he's just before they like have had enough or is he just like just showing off bastard. can he just do that and it doesn't even he affect be him a at firefighter all? like danny <laughs> <laughs> uh, king viserys uh lord commander of the uh city fire brigade <laughs> yeah exactly uh, so there's those two quick things about you know you know maybe there's a little clues uh about viserys Possibly being, you know, having that trait, which I thought for a long time watching the show that that was just a Targaryen thing, that they all had that ability. But I think listening to y'all's show and um, hearing something that George said or something in an interview or something, he's like, no, 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 that's a, Danny's a one off. Right. Yeah. He um, said it was a miracle. In that, in that regard. So, I mean, it could be that a few other Targaryens also somehow possess that. I mean, it had to be a genetic, I would think. Some kind of genetic predisposition for that, but that could be, you know, a recessive gene that gets passed down through the Targaryen bloodline and only comes, becomes active, you know, Every in once certain in a while. weird circumstances. Um, but that was pretty funny. Yeah, it and didn't then, work for uh, didn't work for Egg, right? Didn't he burn did, at Summerhall? Uh, yeah, I can't remember. That's the one missing piece of my um, Game uh, of Thrones uh, knowledge is Summerhall. I haven't gone through the Dunkin' Egg novellas. Oh, um, man. I need to do it. that. I, so I got The World of Ice and Fire. I got that on Audible and listened to it. You know, it's very interesting. But um, I haven't gone through Dunkin' Egg yet. And I also didn't, it didn't work for um, Viserys, you know, Danny's brother, Viserys. I think he's the third or fourth Viserys. Um, when uh, Cal Drogo gives Viserys his golden crown, you know, Danny says he was no dragon. Fire right. cannot kill a dragon. Yeah, exactly. So that, that was pretty cool. Uh, one other note was just funny little moments. Um, I had two when the city watches rounding up, you know, all the miscreant and criminals. I'm pretty sure I listened to this for a couple of times when they when they pull the the pants down of the accused rapist. And they show the guy's butt. I'm pretty sure he farts. <laughs> did, did you? That would be a reference swore. to idiocracy, if that's true. I could have swore I heard that. So, <laughs> listeners, let us know what you heard, if you yeah, heard that or not. I'll use the super um, headphones and check it out, too. But, yeah, if Jon Snow said, go, 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 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I mean, I listened to it. I thought oh, I heard it, but it, it could have just been a weird happenstance where there was some other sound effect. That's but it hilarious. sounded like a fart. That now and that it, you mentioned that, like, you, have you seen Idiocracy before? Um, and just a little bit in bits and pieces. I've never sat so down and watched it straight through. I need to. It's a Mike Judge movie. The premise is that humanity gets stup- more stupid over the years as smart people breed less and uh, like less lower IQ people decide to just have kids and kids because they're not planning for their future and in, in a chaotic way. How many kids do you have, Zach? And, uh, four. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Maybe I'm, I'm just on kidding. that end of the spectrum. <laughs> but, uh, by the time it gets to 500 years of the future, humanity is so dumbed down that the, the number one movie in theaters is simply called ass. And that's all it was. Just one ass on screen for an hour and a half. And, uh, it, every once in a while it farts, you know, <laughs> that, that close up of the ass is like just dead on for idiocracy. And when Mike Judge was uh, shooting that, he was expecting to have to go into the theater to film the crowd reacting to ass and be like, okay, you got to laugh and everything. But he went in there and he didn't even have to direct them. They automatically were just laughing at the ass on screen. And he oh, was that's like, funny. wow, this is terrifying. <laughs> maybe it's not as, maybe it's not as far in the future as we thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The, uh, another funny moment was at the tourney. Uh, once they get it started, people getting their face bashed in and stuff. Yeah. This little squire or some oh, little yeah. kid kind of over in the corner. I mean, he just loses his lunch everywhere. <laughs> you know, as uh, the one guy gets his face just completely you know, in smashed in. And it's like, oh, that was so uh, it just, brutal. It made me laugh. I, I mean, I don't know if that should be funny or <laughs> it's not. Funny. Just it's that funny. little kid <laughs> losing his lunch uh, <laughs> when he realized how brutal it's a tournament. It's all going to be fun, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. wrong, wrong. Yeah, when when off the deep end pretty quick anything else you want to mention i think that's it all right well that'll wrap up our top five this week we went all weird because uh i my i had eight things that kind of just all ended up as like uh in like the whole episode just divided into eight perfectly so i none of them are in any particular order so we went one to one to five this week but we'll go back to the normal five to five to one uh concept next week as as we continue our coverage all right so that wraps up our top five we'll be right back stay with us All right, Wait. we're back with news about Game of Thrones. From Deadline, House of the Dragon premiere on HBO draws nearly 10 million viewers. History was made at HBO with the debut of House of the Dragon. Game of Thrones prequel drew 9.986 million viewers across linear and HBO Max platforms in the U.S. Sunday. The largest audience, <clears throat> the largest audience for any new original series in the history of pay cable. Wow. The premiere also marked the largest series launch on HBO Max across the U.S., Latin America, and EMEA, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, driving what HBO calls an unprecedented level of concurrent streams on the platform. Typically, Sunday night viewership for HBO series will represent just 20% to 40% of the show's total gross audience, according to the network. The debut also topped Game of Thrones' 2011 premiere by almost 350% in terms of viewers. Not surprising, considering the audience has subsequently been established. 
Of course, there was no HBO Max back then, and streaming was a minor part of the TV industry. Also that. (laughs) Another bit of trivia, Game of Thrones' 82-minute series finale in 2019 burned all HBO records with 19.3 million sets of googly eyeballs across linear viewing, which included the now-extinct HBO Go and HBO Now. The House of the Dragon premiere was also a hit on social media where fans showed up to celebrate the return to Westeros. On premiere day, House of the Dragon was the longest trending topic on Twitter, ranking number one for 14 hours straight and trended number one on Google Trends. Nice. Kind of, um, and in related news, I just saw that HBO and Warner Brothers have suffered a $3.5 billion loss, so hopefully that doesn't affect the production of this show. Because we need these, we need them big, big budgets, you know, for, if you know what I'm saying, for the dragons uh, moving forward. And uh, we mixed into the episode our Game of Thrones and history stuff with Damocles' sword and George Washington and Abraham Lincoln uh, and analogies. So we'll uh, move right on to Raven's Calls. <laughs> Shannon Jones says, I kind of really liked episode one. Anthony J. Alakin said, looking forward to your coverage of the show. Love the episode. Love the tie-in to Daenerys at the start and what came to be of John and Danny with the telling of Aegon's dream. Great actors, gruesome birth, great elements and dialogue that take us back to the original. Prince Damon might be the one we hate to love in this show. I agree. (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big time. Uh, Matthew Rep, What's up, dude? He says, oh, geez, this is brutal. Game of Thrones pulling no pulling no punches right out of the gate. Where did all those extra swords go on the Iron Throne between here and the OG series? I'm imagining that Robert Baratheon removed them, although they were not present during the Mad King's reign in, in uh, his vision. So uh, we'll just chalk it up to... Um, Just they're just making improvements to the show as we go, and we'll imagine Game of Thrones with that one scene as having it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) retcon back in there. Yeah, retcon, perfect. Yeah, until we have a better explanation. He he also asks, has there ever been a Viserys that wasn't a dick? No. And uh, (laughs) he says, gotta love Lord Hightower as hand, and that reminds me, it's the actor that plays Otto Hightower is Reese Ilfons. I did not even recognize this dude with the beard and everything. Uh, he was a great villain in the movie Hannibal Rising, which is like oh. a, a Hannibal Lecter prequel showing his origins as a young child in World War II Lithuania and growing up without parents and uh, without a sister. <laughs> uh, Reese Ilfans plays the the main villain in that, that movie, which is really good. Uh, Matthew Rep continues, oh man, Balerion's skull is so majestic compared to what we saw before. Which, definitely true. And he says, Rick on Stark! Kind of doughy. <laughs> Winter hasn't come yet, so they're, they're, they're out of shape up there, I guess. And uh, he loved seeing the Baratheon bros. And yeah, that was really cool, too. Very nice. I wonder what season. They didn't say that. Um, because I think in the first episode, or maybe the second episode of Game of Thrones, you immediately know that it's already uh, autumn. Uh, and you know, yep. there, you know, Ned Stark says winter is winter coming, is you know, coming. Like 17 times, yeah. uh, in the first episode or two. Um, but 
so I'm wondering here if right now, if the seven kingdoms are in a, in a period of spring or summer or autumn, or uh, but they may, they probably bring that in at some point. Yeah. Good question. Cause they've had like an unprecedented long summer, right? The heart tree or the weirwood tree in, in the God's wood still had leaves, but they mm-hmm. may, I can't remember. I, that was a really deep dive. I can't remember if those trees keep their leaves all winter or not since they're, you know, this magical connection to you know the earth and what did the one with the three-eyed raven and up north did that have leaves yeah on i'm that? trying to think I if it remember. showed it, if it was bare or if it had leaves i think it had leaves but anyway but like right when we get there the the whites rise up out of the frozen snow and start attacking uh bran and company so uh they didn't let us focus on that true uh, yeah that <laughs> weirwood tree very long zombie moment classic zombies exactly Richard Horsfield writes, hey, Richard, uh, hey. what's up? Glad you're uh, back with feedback. Yeah. It was uh, it was a great start, I must say. I'm unsure if we're going to have a love-hate uh, for Damon, uh, laugh out loud. <laughs> I think he'll be a bit of a bastard. But <laughs> by far, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> by far the most interesting character so far, I reckon. Definitely. Interesting cast as well. I didn't dig in before watching, so it was all completely new. Nice. Same here. I only now remember reading of Matt Smith, but I had forgotten. Oh, nice. So uh, Matt Smith was a surprise when he when you saw him on screen. He's a great actor. Very nice. I've met him a couple times. Pat- cool guy. Excellent. Patty uh, Constantine is an amazing actor, as is uh, Reese Ilfans, like uh, Duncan was just uh, speaking of. I was like, oh, I know these faces, uh, LOL. I'm not familiar with Patty Constantine, but apparently he uh, led in a kind of a cult hit in the UK that's really, really popular. Uh, Okay, nice. Richard was telling me about it. I'm going to have to check it out. Nice. Candace Volker says, I have been so excited for this. It was absolutely amazing from the cinematography to the score. It all adds such depth to the incredible acting. Very excited for the podcast to be back and eagerly await everyone else's thoughts. Thank you, Lady Candace. Great to hear from you. Uh, Sarah Larkham. Hello, Lady Sarah. Welcome back. It was worth the wait. I love the premiere and I am probably going to go start Game of Thrones again. Yes, another yeah. rewatch. And there is a callback to Tyrion's birth uh, during the birth scene. But of course, in this case, in his case, Tyrion survived. Right. I totally didn't, I didn't catch that at all. Tyrion's mother also died in, in his birth, which is why Tywin hated him for the whole, you know, exactly. of his life, unfortunately. <laughs> all right. That's our show. Episode 121. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, don't get too close to those dragons. <laughs> yeah. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. Dude has the best voice ever, right up there with James Earl Jones, in my opinion. (laughs) And on another note, if you enjoy my take on things, you might be excited to learn that I'm working on a project of my own. It's a series in a novel, screenplay, hybrid form that I'm already over 1,100 pages into writing. In the past year following a grand epiphany, I've been composing what amounts to a saga of Homeric proportions. Nice. Within a 15-minute period last May, in a moment of surreal clarity of vision, nearly a decade and a half of research into history and mysteries, both recent and ancient, megaliths and myths, pyramids and legends lost to time, suddenly coalesced within my mind, intertwining seamlessly into a single cohesive narrative. 
Now I have a huge, epic tale in the works, one that's thousands of years in the making, an adventure that will captivate and enthrall the world. It's a story of bravery and perseverance in the face of total defeat, of moral character and American values, love, teamwork, and brotherhood, of exploration and secret passages and deciphered codes and transmissions, of the everlasting, overarching battle between the forces of light and darkness. Just imagine that Da Vinci Code, Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider, Stargate, Journey to the Center of the Earth, National Treasure, Project Blue Book, War of the Worlds, Splinter Cell, and Independence Day all combined into one post-World War II epic. A tale spanning from pole to pole, from World War II Egypt to Argentina, from DC to Greece, Mexico to the Brazilian forests, exploring pyramids and tombs deep within the Earth's crust and through time, unraveling an ancient mystery with rich lore spanning millennia and including fantastic elements of true history. The journey will please your eyes and work your mind as it challenges our collective understanding of history, physics, and the evolution of mankind. Solving the mystery of the pyramid's purpose, uncovering the occulted, discovering the, hu the history of humanity lost to the ages, deciphering the fates of the ancient gods, Egypt, lost civilizations, Tesla, Roswell, flood mythology, hollow earth, and the fall of the Third Reich. What is the truth at the core of it all? The Core Saga, coming soon. I'll be releasing more on that in the near future. In the meantime, if you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping and go on over to gameofmicrophones.com. Scroll down to the bottom and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. I don't think we've made anybody on <laughs> a qualifying purchases yet, but a fella can dream. <laughs> <laughs> And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmaster Stitches, who we're looking forward to hopefully getting on this podcast throughout the season as well. And also check out his new show, which kind of expounds, expands upon Sirenicide and has uh, individual bottle episodes of all kinds of cool little stories, some written by, uh, by listeners, horror type stuff. It's really good. I've produced a couple episodes of that as well and voice acted on a couple as well. Nice. Go to sirenicide.com, hearingthehaunted.com, and download it wherever you get your podcasts. Next episode, we'll be covering House of the Dragon, episode two. I don't think we have a title for that yet. Do you? I haven't you know? seen one. Yeah. The, the title for the first episode wasn't added to IMDb until after it aired. So <laughs> I'm not sure we have number two yet, but we'll find out eventually. Yeah, I uh, in a really quick search, I don't see a title, an episode title. So, oh well, find out on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. If you'd like to call, you can call us at eight one three Joffrey. Oh, I haven't had to say that name in a while. <laughs> That's painful. That's eight one three five six three three seven three nine. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Make sure to join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. Each week, we'll be posting a feedback thread where you can leave your thoughts and comments 
on new episodes for us to read on the air. Doom slap. You can also Ooh. watch <laughs> you can also watch Game of Microphones on YouTube. Audio podcasts are great, but video is better. We're currently trying to build our minuscule subscriber count, so please go to youtube.com slash game of microphones and subscribe right now. Likes, comments, and, and shares are also appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab and Minds at G O M Podcast. And we're on Tumblr too at Game of Microphones. <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Why would I do that? Because I'm your brother, and the blood of the dragon runs thick. Then why do you cut me so deeply? I've only ever spoken the truth. I see Otto Hightower for what he is. An unwavering and loyal hand? I can't. Here we are.